Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, hells yeah. I'm rolling like a cop who's been, who's gone over the edge. <laughs> a cop who crossed the line. Have you prepped him with so how I'm, this I'm, is about to start? I'm going to start with a song. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been told at times that the Zoom can sometimes create a little lag between my vocals and the music. But if that happens, just know that it's perfect over here and I'm doing a great job. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Leon was a film from 94 From director Luc Besson It starred Jean Reno And it introduced us to Natalie Portman Leon Saves a little girl And his life's forever changed from that day on He becomes a father to this girl And he teaches her how to assassinate people So she can kill the guy who murdered her family And in the process he discovers love Life always this hard, just when you're a kid. 
I like these calm little moments before the storm. I want to kill those sons of bitches. I'm going to blow their fucking heads off. Revenge is not good, Nitsin. It's better to forget. Finish growing up, Leah. I just get older. For me, it's the opposite. I'm old enough. I need time to grow up. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone! Well, Leon, I put the DVD on. And it's the international cut. With 25 extra minutes. That'll leave an awkward feeling in your gut And over time the film has gotten guff For uncomfortable themes and some queasy scenes That are kinda rough between a man and child It doesn't help the director was me too No <laughs> Yeah, what time Opera there, huh? Yeah, as someone who's only heard the podcast, I didn't realize you did that live. Oh, yeah. And uh, part of it being so long is that I could, uh, it had different different parts. So there, at first, it was watching you do it, and then it was watching Corey just sit there while you do it, and then it turned into watching Corey. <laughs> just like, we're still going? We're still going. Okay, okay, got it. God. And then and then you drop in those sound bites. And that was a, that was a masterpiece. I did, I was not expecting that. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possess podcast. My name is Jack Bishop, and with me, as always, is the Gary Oldman of this podcast, Corey Clifford. <laughs> woo, woo, I'll take that one with pride. Oh, yeah. You could sniff out a liar better than anybody, it's I know. It's true. You love Beethoven, the film. With the St. Bernard, with the dog, Charles yeah. Grodin. Then um, each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections, and we discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end we will decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be taken out to trash by a certain cleaner mm. clever, clever. whose name rhymes with... Leave on. Try again. As in leave on this podcast, <laughs> folks. It's going to get better. <laughs> folks, this is the season two premiere of Cinema Possessed, and we are thrilled to be back. Woo-woo. And uh, listeners of the Patreon bonus materials already know this, but for those of you who don't subscribe to the Patreon, shame on you, for one. Uh, but we have a slightly new format 
and schedule for this season. First of all, listeners might be sad to hear that from here on out, Justin Nijem will no longer be joining us as the permanent third co-host. He has some other things going on, so he has stepped back from the pod. If you want to hear us go into a little bit more depth about that, you can subscribe to the Patreon bonus materials. We talk all about it in the Iron Claw episode. It's nothing crazy. You'll probably hear from him again as a guest on future episodes. But for this season, it will be Corey and I and guests. That's right. This is the Oops All Guests season of Cinema Possessed Podcast. Every episode this season, we're going to have a guest come on to talk these movies with us, and we are super fucking stoked about it. We got good ones. However, there will be a slight change in the schedule because it's kind of harder to book guests, takes more time to pick movies, get schedules right, and because we got some other exciting projects going on outside of the podcast, we will be releasing the main feed episodes every other week from now on, as opposed to weekly like last season. Uh, Now, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you will still be getting our bi-weekly bonus episodes, which will come out on the off weeks from the main feed. So that means if you subscribe to the Patreon, you will still get Cinema Possessed every week. So if you don't subscribe and you want that, get to fucking subscribing, folks. The Patreons are a bit unhinged in a fun way. Oh, they're good. And as you know, we talk about way more than what's just in our collection. But for real, the shift to bi-weekly is not just a ploy to get people to go to the Patreon. It's truly an effort to make the quality of the podcast just as good, if not better, than it's always been. Hell yeah. And uh, as they say, before it gets better, it's gotta get worse, which leads us to (laughs) our guest today. We are joined by an insanely talented writer, director, editor, musician, animator, model maker, miniature maker, puppet maker, robot maker, go-kart maker, all around. Child maker. Child maker. Child maker. (laughs) (laughs) Can't forget. Uh, One of the most creative people I've ever met. I met him way back in the day at Funny or Die, and ever since he's been one of my all-time favorite buds. We are so excited to be joined here today by Ian Pfaff. Hey. What's up, buddy? Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, As an all-time favorite bud, thank you for having me on to talk about a movie that's so easy to love and talk about. (laughs) This one's going to be an easy, easy, breezy episode. I'm just going to (laughs) gush. Well, you know, beyond that, I wanted to have you on just because we have done a lot of movies on this podcast, but we surprisingly haven't done like a lot of action movies. Uh Mm -hmm. And so going into this next season, we were like, I want to throw in some action movies because my DVD collection started when I was a teenager, so I just got a shit ton of action in there, and I wanted to do something... You were trying to go for highbrow Well, action. I wanted to yeah. do something that maybe isn't talked about as much as like the diehards and the lethal weapons and stuff, and this was a movie that I hadn't seen in a long time, and Ian, uh, you know, is a true blue cinephile. He loves movies, but like also considers action movies and 80s trash to be just as high art as a Fellini film or a Scorsese movie. And so it felt like you were the guy to bring on to talk a good action movie. One thousand percent. I uh, yeah, I call them bangers. Uh And uh, I made during COVID, I ended up making a book or a book like a 10 page document called The Banger Bible. Oh, it breaks down all the different bangers by actors, directors, genres. There's like you know, first timer bangers, like art house bangers. Mm-hmm. And the professional technically is a banger, yeah. but it's in the category too heady to bang. <laughs> where it has all the elements of a banger, but it makes you think too much, which yeah. debangs it a little bit. Yeah. Bangers are a little more lean. Good guys good, bad guys bad. Yes. And I think what keeps it in the banger Bible is the bad guy is one of the best banger villains oh, ever. Oh boy. Incredible. He's insane. And the opening scene 
is one of the most bangy things on the planet. <laughs> just the line, somebody's coming up, somebody's serious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to break this movie down because there's just so many yeah. good details, so many great sequences. And yeah, like you said, in the grand scheme of movies, it's like fairly simplified. It almost at times feels like it's written by a kid. But mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of action movies, it is slightly more provocative and thought-provoking. Some might say elevated than your average. It does. It is forcing you to uh, confront certain things that most action movies are just not going to ever even come close to making you think about. Uh, and that's probably the fact that the director is a French director. And there's, right. there's a very clear European vibe to this movie that... Um, I love. Before we leave the audience hanging too much longer, Corey, do you want to tell the people what movie we are talking about today? Today, we are talking about Luc Besson. Is that how you say his name? That's how I say it. Okay, we're talking about (laughs) Luc Besson's 1994 action thriller? Yeah, sure. Leon the Professional. Heady banger. (laughs) Leon the Professional. Let's talk business. This guy comes to town every Tuesday. Are you free Tuesday? Yeah, I'm free Tuesday. You can't stop what you can't see. This guy came from the outside. He was a pro. He was fast. In the art of the kill, Leon was the master. Somebody's coming up. Somebody's serious. He never missed a hit. He never got caught. You're indestructible. Bullets slide off you. You play with them. And above all else... He never had a reason to care. Until now. I like these scarred little moments before the storm. My family was shot down by DEA officers. From the director of La Femme Nikita. If you don't help me, I'll die tonight. I can feel it. An innocent girl with no one else to turn to. What exactly do you do for a living? Cleaner. You mean you're a hitman? They're about to come face to face with the cop who's crossed the line. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone! My favorite trailer voice, too. Oh, yeah. It's got our He's, guy. That guy LaFontaine? Yes, yes. yes. Uh, so, I mean, if that trailer came out today, I'd be first in fucking line to see this movie. There would be no doubt about it. Especially with that final like song at the end, that final <laughs> music at the end. It tells you that this is going to be an operatic movie, which well, very much is. I, all, a lot of the music in the trailer was from the movie, except that last one. Yeah. And it just made me... If they're going to pull from other movies, if they did like the Aladdin, you ain't never had a friend like me... <laughs> Thematically, which would, would be appropriate yeah. for sure. Your friend, do this. Do this, do this. <laughs> so it's been probably over 20 years since the last time I watched this movie. Mm. And um, I'll just come right out and say, you know, we're going to get into the controversies of this movie. And there's a, quite a lot to talk about. I do have some complicated feelings about aspects of it. But in general, this rewatch really fucking got me. Like, I thought this movie kicked ass watching it again. Agreed. 
uh, honestly probably worked better for me, even though I saw it in a whole new way than the last time. I just was really taken for a ride. And I'm not going to lie, I got emotional multiple times watching this film. You know, I have I have some complicated feelings about what the 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 controversies are about this movie. But um, you know, before we get too far into that, Ian, when was the what's your relationship to this movie? Did you see it at an early age? Yeah, I so my this was one of the first rated R movies I ever saw. Mm. I think I was like 13, 14, and I'd seen Face Off before this one. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> which might explain why, I, you know, I wrote a banger, but like <laughs> Face, Off, Face Off was very, left quite an impression. Yeah. And so this one, nothing in Face Off I found disturbing. Mm-hmm. As a 14 year old watching this one, I am still hot. Like I was reluctant to watch it again the last time I saw it, probably 10 years ago. And then the other night because of the attack on the family yes yeah it's brutal it's so brutal it's really and it's so stuck with me and like, it's long it's, I, like it's an it's a it's an, a very extended sequence yeah and are, are we doing spoilers I'm yeah guessing. you can go yeah. spoiler yeah. yeah spoiler alert so, folks like what i what stuck with me the most about was the bathtub shot mm. and then how brutal the whole scene is to the point where i've seen the movie this is the third or fourth time i've seen it but i remember them killing the little boy mm-hmm even though they don't show it. Yeah. Like, that's how much the scene, like, mm-hmm. I was, like, dreading, Haunted. like, oh, yeah. God, they're going to kill the kid. Yeah. Now that I have kids, it makes it even harder to watch shit like that. So then when I saw that they actually don't show it, but it still makes you feel like they did, I'm like, yeah. wow, that's good. It's great. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so that, that always stuck with me. And then, yeah, so what I think is funny about it is, like, from the initial viewing, and I'd only seen, the, you know, the American version without the... Um, the you the watched emphasis. the international cut. The other night, yes, but like yes. when I first saw it as a as a kid, it was just the D Lolita version. Yeah, and it, you know, if anything, Natalie Portman's character just reminded me of other kids I knew. Mm-hmm. So she was she didn't seem that weird. Yeah, you know, like at all the shoe fit, and it was just more the actual violence of it was scary. Where in Face Off, the violence wasn't scary at all. Right, and then the only other thing I remember from the first time I saw it, I thought the opening scene was stupid. Because they say someone's coming up, somebody serious. And I'm yeah. being like, that's so stupid. And now I look at it as French filmmaker doing action movie. And yeah. I'm like, that's the best thing that oh, could dude. ever be in a movie. I love, <laughs> like, I love it with all my heart. This era, like the late 80s, early 90s, there was a big boom of European directors who grew up watching John Wayne movies, John Ford movies. Hitchcock, they grew up watching American Hollywood movies, and that was their dream, was to like make movies for America and Hollywood. So you had people like Luc Besson and Paul Verhoeven, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, Rennie Harlan was another one who would make a name for themselves in their home country and then transition over to America and get the keys to the kingdom and get to make these big budget action movies that um, was their version of like an American film and more often than not these movies did great they did great box office and people loved them but they're always kind of weird because they can't shake that european thing that's just in their blood right and it's because they're playing with iconography that they don't necessarily know completely in their bones there's like a great story about how paul verhoeven used 
Bart Simpson in uh, Basic Instinct, and he had no idea who Bart Simpson was. He was just like, it's an American character, this Bart guy. I knew and so it, I used him. And so like, you get these like really strange, interesting action movies, and they're all such great visual stylists, and so they work like gangbusters, and nobody really has an issue with the weirdness until it goes over... <laughs> Until it goes over the line and starts to actually push people into uncomfortable territories like this movie certainly it's does. The, uh, it's the 90s director's equivalent of tribal tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks cool. It means something to them, but yeah. they can be way off. Exactly. Yeah. And you may want to get and them it's removed there later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first saw this, uh, it was called The Professional. It was not, uh-huh. like, I remember seeing the box of The Professional. On VHS, back in the day when I was just doing the five for five deal at the video store, and I would just go to the action movie section and get five movies that I'd never, oftentimes never heard of, like stuff like Army of One and Universal Soldier. That's how I saw all those movies. And this was one of them. And I remember watching it with my friends and liking the movie, but also weirdly thinking it was like a little slower than the average action movie, which is crazy when I watch it now. It doesn't feel slow at all to me. It feels just as much action as I would ever want, but I liked it overall. And then I remember got a DVD player, maybe five or six years later in the year, like 2000, this DVD that I have, Leon, the professional popped up on the shelf. And I was like, wait, is this the professional? But it says Leon. And I remember being confused by it, Mm -hmm. but also being, that's like what got me to want to rebuy it because I was like, well, I've seen this movie before, but what is this Leon thing? So I got this DVD. I remember telling my friends, like, I think this is the same movie we watched a couple of years ago, but it's called Leon now. And um, that's why I own this. And this is, other than that very first viewing, the way I've always watched the movie. But I was probably... 14, 15, the last time I watched this DVD. So the the effect of watching it now was quite different. And yeah, I had the same feeling as you. I more so just connected to the Natalie Portman character because she was really close to my age when I saw it. I looked at it way more like a Terminator 2, where it was just mm-hmm. a sort of kid teaming up with cool adult and <laughs> <laughs> fighting a bad guy. Corey, had you seen this movie before? Yeah, did this used to play on tv yeah i think it played on. i TV feel like it now. must have because my brother and i both when we talked about it we're like this i it, it i know i watched it in childhood but i don't have the memory of like maybe we rented it because we did rent movies but like i feel like it just must have been playing on tv and this had a really cool box too so it's an attractive like it's something that your dad would probably be like let's just rent yeah this, this looks yeah. awesome then i remember watching it when like you were showing me lots of movies when we first started yeah. dating Oh, so that that was probably the last time we watched it then. That would Definitely, be like 17 like years ago. 19. Yeah, probably. Um, we got together young, but we were both young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still very young. <laughs> You're the young older little cool. Natalie Portman. You're technically the... I'm the Natalie Portman in this situation. Yeah, yeah, sure. If I'm we're going to break this down. It's true. It's true. Um, but I remember... I don't really remember the like sexual overtones of this movie as like that's wasn't like really in my head that just came as an adult like hearing about the movie being like Mm -hmm. oh yeah i guess but when we watched it the whole time i thought she was gonna be a prostitute i was like okay so she's becomes a prostitute at some point or she's about to be a prostitute like i kept Mm. waiting for that and i was like oh she's not a prostitute she's just a little girl with a crush yeah and so as we get into it 
maybe my hot take is like that I don't find this movie as creepy as a lot of people do. I was kind of like, I just, because I, the way Natalie Portman was is like what I so desperately wanted to be at that age. Like, I remember being 10, being like, I am not a fucking little girl. I'm a grown up. Yeah. And I like grown up things and like all of that. Like, I just wanted to be that so much. So I just relate to, I related to her character so much. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't that. Like, the whole time, too, I was, like, holding my breath, being like, please, like, I don't, like, don't kiss her. Like, you know, like, something right. was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, it doesn't. So, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll preface this by saying, too, when we rewatched it the other night, I had not done any research at this point. And everything that I was, it felt like I knew about the movie was from the years of just, like, kind of hearing in passing, people talk about how this movie is now sort of considered problematic right. and that Luke Basson maybe has some problematic stuff, but I wasn't aware of any of that stuff. And I will say that I had very similar feelings watching the movie the other night where I was like, I totally understand why this makes people uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable, but it's it also felt like it's meant to and... Like you said, it never goes completely over. It's just so obviously like, I don't know, watching it from her perspective is like this little girl's whole family was murdered. Like she's just right. desperate for a adult figure in her life. That was my takeaway too, is like this is actually quite interesting and it's of course provocative and it's pushing a boundary, but I think there is an authenticity to the way it's portrayed and they like you said the the fact that she's gone through such a deep trauma and we see what her life is like before this trauma Horrible. it's bad realistically you can see how a child would kind of start to think this way particularly in the situation where she's been saved by a cool seeming older guy and to the credit of the performance of Jean Renault he I never get the vibe that he is wanting to reciprocate that uh-uh. with her uh, and I think that saves the movie for me in a lot of mm-hmm. ways because he is a very empathetic and sympathetic character that is not creepy for as creepy as the movie is, as the script is, and as oftentimes the filmmaking is. I feel weirder vibes coming from Luke Basson than I do from the character of Leon. Yeah. So there's like a safety in that when watching the movie of like, well, I don't ever feel like he is a predator as much as she is like, literally asking him to make love to her um i feel confident that like he's not gonna do the wrong thing and so that very helps the movie but i will say doing research afterwards hearing what versions of this movie were that it started out as and hearing about what uh luke Basson's personal life is like Ugh. it gives me more pause it's a bit more of a woody allen situation really yeah a, a little bit a little it's... bit we'll get into it but um you know, to just to give some backstory on the movie and its release, it was released in America as The Professional, and they did test screenings of the movie with, that had these more Lolita elements in them, and it tested terribly. The second those things started, audiences turned on the movie, and they knew it, so they took it out. And the, the version that was released at first, I think both America and internationally, was this uh, sort of edited version that is much more of a straightforward Man saves girl, man helps girl find 
the person who killed her family. Classic uh, action movie too. That's what I want out yeah. of an action yeah. movie. And it's Same. shorter too. I mean, that version's like 95 minutes too, which this version, this international version is like 215, 212. And then I th- want to say like in 1996, they decided to re-release the movie in its quote unquote international cut, which put back in all of the stuff that they took out from the test screenings, which is all of it. I, I would say it's a, it's deepens the relationship between the characters, I think in a, an interesting way and in a significant way, but also has all that stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think does really broach pretty problematic territory. The film was pretty much celebrated at the time. Like it had pretty good reviews. Obviously Natalie Portman was a, a, a breakout star from this movie. So good. And she is phenomenal in this film considering that it's her first film and I think she was 12 years old when she shot it it's an insane performance I think all the performances are great but she's absolutely the standout and despite any of the controversies I think you have to consider all the good performances and the good filmmaking that comes from the from the movie yeah and I think even when in the year 2000 when this like international cut came out on DVD I don't really remember people talking about any of that. I think this reevaluation of the movie came much closer to the Me Too movement. Right. Um, and I think it did have a lot to do with the fact that Luc Besson had some sexual assault allegations thrown at him from a later movie that he did called Valerian. He was technically acquitted of that, but it, you hear the stories and it sounds believable. Also, what I didn't know until this time is that Luc Besson was actually had a, uh, a married to a girl named Mai Wen, who was a model and actress who he met when she was 12 years old. No! They got together when she was 15. No! And she was pregnant, and they were married by the time she was 16. No! Now, this is France. No, and they have that different, does it's, not That is technically... A, look, I'm not defending it, but that is the legal age. So he wasn't... in legally in any trouble for doing 16's any the legal age oh no i think 15 i think 15 is the legal age yeah, 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 yeah. france did not consider it an issue yeah and so this are they still married no no he ended up i think uh leaving her for mila jovovich when he shot the fifth element is he still with her no oh they were together for maybe like two or three years Hey, I just want to take this uh, moment to thank you both again for bringing me on to talk about <laughs> leon uh the professional just like it's so good on every level and just you know you can't there's nothing bad you can say no, about yeah. not a bad word <laughs> the premiere episode of season yeah. two you hey, know what's up <laughs> no I, I, I for me it's one of the like i because i figure out i'm just looking at it as just what it is yes regardless of all the because yeah. for me what's interesting about it is we're as far away from the professional. Like I, I graduated high school in 2002, so like Blink 182 was big. Led Zeppelin was classic rock. Like this is Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. the equivalent of Led Zeppelin. Like yeah. it's 20 plus years old. Um, it's ancient. So it's weird for me. What's interesting is to see how much the culture and the times have changed based on the feelings towards this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like when I was just reading up trivia, like there was a bunch of actors that were desperate to be Leon. Like Keanu Reeves, like there's all these. Wow. So just the fact that like there was a bunch of people that wanted to do it because this was like exciting, cool. This was pre Law and Order SVU. <laughs> yeah, like, 
this was pre Loveline, so it's like this was pre like it, porn was still something you had to go into a store to buy. Mm-hmm. So there's like <laughs> or find in the woods. Of the, well, it's like there's this weird like the the whole like my one of my favorite movie genres other than bangers is like the '90s erotic thriller. Yeah, hell yeah. And it's just gone, like because there was this like certain sexual tension just baked into the culture mm-hmm. that just doesn't exist anymore. And so I think that this, if you think about the time this was made, it's like everything was trying to be edgy. Yeah. Everything's trying to push the envelope yeah. and everything's playing not only with like, you know, violence being this very taboo thing that we weren't being inundated with, like school shootings weren't a thing yet. Mm-hmm. So like a kid with guns, sexual tension with the, all of this at the time was like it's kind of more exciting. embraced. Yeah. More embraced for how edgy it was. Yeah. Instead of now we see it as like, well, obviously that's a sign of right. whoever's behind this yeah. is a piece of shit. Yeah. And then what I think is interesting too is it's that weird sexual tension is what we're all repelled by. And no thought whatsoever about a man teaching a girl how to kill people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's always. Like no one gives a shit. If anything, we're like, hell yeah, girl, go get them. Yes. And, and I think <laughs> so that's I think... always been one of the sort of weird double standards of our culture. Yeah. And and that's actually one of the reasons, again, why the brutality of this movie I love because it actually makes you feel it. You're not comfortable with the violence mm-hmm. the way you are with Face Off or Art Target <laughs> or something where you're just like, yeah. Yeah. Until like, the Geez. end when he comes out of the ceiling and fucking kills yeah. oh and God. then and I was like, like, let's go. Let's to go. that end. Yeah. Like- and when they're like, they drop that rocket into the <laughs> gun. You're just like, oh. <laughs> And I think that's okay to like that stuff, too. Like, I'm not even necessarily... I think it's a critique that we have a a double standard, but I also think it's totally fine to embrace violence in in art in cinema it's something that we as a as a human as a species have been doing since art existed all art has been violent and all art has been sexual i think that's a way for us to work things out right that's the whole point that's and, the yeah, point. and it's a way to experience it without actually experiencing exactly. it in real life and that's why i think as this movie stands even in this international cut I can appreciate it. I can appreciate what it is forcing me to consider and think about. And again, because it feels sort of honest in its portrayal, it didn't actually, save for maybe a few little moments and a few little shots, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Overall, I was like pretty compelled by what this movie was trying to kind of say story-wise with these characters i think the thing too just even you know there's so much credit giving to directors especially Mm -hmm. if the movie's good we're also he may have been trying to do one thing and this is what we ended up with exactly i was watching some like uh, some interview of him where he was talking about you know the scenes that they ended up cutting and he said they like you know the this original version they played it in some theater in america and the scene where like natalie portman's like i want you to make love to me um the audience gets uncomfortable a bunch of people walk out and he's like well this isn't working we got to cut it but he was saying to him that seems funny because she's just this kid who doesn't know what she's doing like it's a joke yeah yeah and it's like and so maybe that's how he saw it Mm -hmm. but the way i see it watching this movie especially being older now i feel like he's a kid making a movie exactly where it's like the like you have leon and natalie are both these very innocent kids in a certain way but natalie or natalie portman you know has seen more of the you know some horrible stuff in the world but either way it's she's like, like emotionally like, more mature than leon right but it's still like the way a teenager would come up exactly with it. yeah yeah and then the way that like the world actually works in this movie and like the police <laughs> 
Like yeah. you can just walk into a police station and like Gary um or what's his yeah, Gary Oldman can just like close the bathroom door and no one's going to come in until they need to, <laughs> yeah. to save, yeah. you know. It's a fairy There's tale. There's a lot of stuff like the world doesn't work like this. Yeah. So I think like we're just kind of getting yeah, he's accidentally given and that weird awkwardness tension thing that we're feeling that makes this movie come off as a masterpiece might just be that like <laughs> teenage brain playing with some really messy stuff yeah. in a very clumsy way yeah. that just works really well. Yeah, and there I think be- there's, you know, clumsy clumsy work oftentimes can inspire a lot of thought provoking. Right. Well, because material. he's not I think cuz technically it's amazing like the yeah. all the, the a great filmmaking craftsman. craftsmanship a is incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's a certain unapologetic, like he's just going for it on every level with the directing, with the writing, with yeah. the, like, and even the and dialogue so I, is like, it's almost at to- a lot of times written like poetry, right. cheesy poetry, teenage poetry, but right. it's, it's, he's trying. I, I think there's a, there's, there's something he's trying with the dialogue that is, he's wanting this to be a grand operatic emotional experience through and through. Even with yeah. Gary Oldman's dialogue, like he he has a line that says like "death is whimsical today," <laughs> yes, and it's just like I love that line. <laughs> there's a little bit. There's a little bit though. <clears throat> if I ever get to make a movie like this, I'm definitely getting actors with accents because there's a little bit you can get away with a lot. Yeah, oh my God. there's the part where she's like, "I'm already grown up," and he's like. Whatever he said, like, yeah. I already grew up. I just need to get older. Yeah. Right? Where it's like, if he was from Wisconsin and said that. <laughs> but it just has this magic to it coming out of um, The hilarious French. thing, too, is I saw an interview with Jean Renault, and uh, he said that his he was attempting to have no accent. <laughs> yeah, that, so one of my things, I don't know when we'll get into this. I have a list of what I love about the movie and what I don't love. Yeah. Number one on what I don't love is He's supposed to be Italian. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just can't. Get, it's like it's pretty easy to just say like my cousin from France. Yeah. 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 He came it's over like here. It's like when Schwarzenegger France. plays a cop. Like <laughs> watching the movie this time too. I think part of it is because at the age we're at, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast. We're like in the stages of starting to uh, try to have children. I was very much looking at this movie through the eyes of potentially being a father, and I was emotionally bowled over by multiple scenes in this. And I came out of the movie much more looking at it as like a father-daughter story, as much as Natalie Portman wants it to be like a, a yeah. love romance story. It really felt to me much more like a Terminator 2. For sure. Or a Sling Blade or even like an E.T. Like it has the, it's the same format of like inhuman figure from out of this world. You know, it's a robot, it's an alien or, you know. It's an Italian. An Italian (laughs) hitman finds this child, saves them, and in the process becomes more human by the end of the movie. And dead. (laughs) <laughs> and again, true, and you got to die or you yeah. got to go back to your home planet one of the two yeah <laughs> and uh you know all the scenes where natalie portman is getting emotional and crying to him about stuff like really brought tears to my eyes and by the end of the movie when they're it's getting emotional now when they're saying i love each other i love you to each other at the end it was not creepy at all to me it was making me bawl 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's like throwing her down the shaft. And when she buries yeah. the plant at the end, I was just like, this movie's great. <laughs> this movie's great. And it and it really bummed me out to like to read uh, the the what the reality of who Luke Besson is and and what he wanted this movie to be. I mean, you know, he the the original version of the script had them having sex and Ooh. I confirmed that by finding the original thing and like found the scene and it's fucking creepy. It reads terrible. Yeah, I think that when we get into it, it's like we just have to look at it as the movie that it is. Because people changed it. You yeah. know, John Renault changes this movie. Natalie Portman changes this movie. Natalie Portman's parents changed this movie. They had a lot of influence on what this movie was in the script. Well, especially that first draft of the script was the title was The Unprofessional. <laughs> So I think, Very you know, you really fact. needed all those people to come in and really elevate it into this very professional, very mm-hmm, appropriate exactly. movie, which I'm very happy to talk about publicly um, on something that will be in, in the human record yes, forever. Yes. Um, well, on that note, to- let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break. Uh, Ian does not come back. <laughs> Hopefully you'll yeah. come back, and when we do, we're going to break this movie down, and we're going to really go through it. And we're going to cover uh, laws. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do a deep dive into uh, French laws. The legal code. <laughs> All right, we'll All right, be right cool. back to talk more about <clears throat> Leon the Professional. Mamma mia. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking Leon, the professional. Great fucking opening of this movie, like you mentioned already. It technically starts in Little Italy, and I really like this opening because we get to see the the process of Danny Aiello, who is this sort of like Italian restaurant owner who is clearly doing work for the mob, and he's he's hiring Leon to do a hit. Let's talk business. This fat bastard is trying to move in on Maurizio's business. Now, you know, Maurizio is a reasonable guy. He just wants a little conversation. But this guy, he don't want to hear about it. Maybe he'll listen to you. He comes to town every Tuesday. Are you free Tuesday? Yeah, I'm free Tuesday. 
the whole scene is shot in these like extreme close-ups and so you're just seeing like the red checkered tablecloth and you get the close-up on Leon's iconic circular glasses big year for the circular glasses 1994 this is also the same year as natural born killers Mm. so these guys had good pr this year (laughs) well i so in part of my research for this last night i watched la femme nikita for the first time oh how is it and it's awesome so it's nice when things live up to the hype but it's got probably one of the coolest opening minutes to it like just the opening shot it's so damn cool but uh Renault shows up in this and he's wearing the exact same glasses and the same coat. What? And he's got the same uh the same case. So Luc Besson did Le Femme Nikita first. French film, but had a big impact in America too. So America was like, come on over and make an American movie. And initially mm-hmm. they wanted him to do the remake for Le Femme Nikita, which point they did no eventually. Return. Yeah, they eventually did remake it as point of no return with Bridget Fonda. Um, but he wasn't interested in making that. And so he wanted to go right into making The Fifth Element. And he had that already, and it was greenlit, but then there was like the budget started to balloon, and they were like, this is actually going to take a while for us to figure this out. And he got Do you have any pedophile action movies you want to do in the meantime? (laughs) Actually, I do. It's based on my life with my girlfriend. Um, And so, yeah, he was like, this is going to take too long. So he decided to write, very quickly write a new script that was low budget. And it's crazy to think of this movie as fucking low budget. It was made for $16 million, but it looks like point to any $200 million movie made today. And this movie looks better and looks crazier and bigger. It makes me sad, honestly. Like we just don't (laughs) live in this day and age anymore where you can do this for $16 million. Right. Um, So he wrote this script called Leon and um, he based it off of the character from La Femme Nikita, who in that movie, I think was named Victor, but he was also known as a cleaner. I have seen Point of No Return recently, and um, Harvey Keitel plays the cleaner in that movie, but in that movie, oh. he's called The Wolf. And then in Pulp Fiction, he plays Winston the Wolf, who comes in and cleans up the mess for Sam Jackson and John Travolta. So another little kind of connection there between these. And then films. Bridget Fonda's in Murphy Brown. Jackie Wait, not Brown. Murphy yeah, Brown. You're Jackie right. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she was in Murphy Brown, which yeah. got her cast in uh-huh. Jackie Brown. Um, Speaking of TV shows, did you ever watch the show La Femme Nikita on the USA Network? No. I, in my head, that's in the same file cabinet as like Silk Stockings and uh, yeah. yeah, just like I mean, it was steamy USA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Part I of that watched, 90s erotic steam we're missing out on. I watched all those shows. Weird Science, Duckman. I remember uh, Duckman, yeah. There was um there was like a Baywatch-esque ver it was like called uh Pacific Blue. Yeah. It was like biker yeah. biker beach cops. <laughs> oh yeah. I watched are... all that shit. Swamp thing. Yep. But yeah, La Femme Nikita, I'm w- more familiar with the TV show. Same. I didn't even know it was a movie. I thought it was just a TV yeah. show. A steamy uh, TV show. Uh, 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 not another song, song. <laughs> not another song. Look <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> So then, yeah, he 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 hires him to do this hit, and we get to see this great fucking opening raid sequence where we're introduced to this 
hilarious group of bad guys. They're all in suits, but they they have distinct personalities. There's like a Native American guy named Tonto. There's a cowboy guy with an earring. There's a black guy. There's a long-haired guy. They got the whole gang in there, and then they're sort of led by this heavy guy who they're clearly doing like a drug... Um, they're cutting up drugs or something. And they go to this hotel room, and they're actually met by... Luke Passan's girlfriend, the girl who's there waiting for them, the blonde girl, that's my win. That's the girl who was uh, he impregnated at 16. <laughs> um, they were married at the time. I think at this point she was 20, like early 20s. But yeah, that's her. And also, uh, if you've seen The Fifth Element, you know the blue opera singer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's her. That's my, that's my win. Ah. Wow. Um, which that's a complicated story, too, because they were still married when they made The Fifth Element, but that's also where he had an affair with Mila Jovovich and left her while filming, but she still had to film her fucking blue opera singer scenes. She was like, I ain't giving up this part, bitch. <laughs> no <laughs> longer Lucas married. a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a piece of shit. Um. And yeah, so they he has sex with her, they're cutting up the drugs, and then all of a sudden he gets a phone call from Tonto. And we cut to Tonto and he's got a gun to his face. Yeah, what? It's Tonto downstairs. There's a guy who wants to talk to you. What's he look like? Serious. Tell him I'm coming up. He's coming up. Somebody's coming up somebody serious and they immediately freak out and he's literally like a ghost he's pulling people down staircases but you only see like his hand he's hanging on walls like spider-man and like <laughs> bringing down wires and hanging dudes so cool throughout the sequence they're just getting more and more afraid of him and so it's like kind of them running away from this guy really cool part where he drops like the, they drop like a grate over the windows i guess as protection and he kills a bunch of dudes outside, and you just see all these bullet holes all through it. And you can see his like silhouette walking through. He peeks his little eye through one of the bullet holes. It's fucking great. My favorite detail from this scene that just makes me just like ugh, watching it is the main bad guy when he's hyperventilating and running around. Yeah. He's all sweaty, but he's got like gelled hair and ugh. he's got the like hair gel sweat on his upper cheek. Mm, mm-hmm. It's like real globby. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we that's, know that feeling. We know the yeah, feeling of sweating so that through scene hair. Where, like Leon is like right up to his cheek with the knife. I'm just like, oh, that must have been gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was Jean Reno's first American movie. This definitely like made him. Um, I wouldn't say a big star, but like he started to do a bunch of American movies after this. He was in Mission Ronin, Impossible. After Mission this, Impossible. Right? And he's always good. And I saw an interview with him, too. And he's like, he's a comedy guy. He really loves comedy, but he always gets he always gets asked to do these like serious roles. But like his dream is just to do comedy stuff. I cannot imagine he would be good at comedy. Well, <laughs> he's very funny in this movie. Well, I was going to say in uh, La Femme Nikita, when he shows up, it's it's funny and it's it's weird. It's funny. Yeah. At, like, Unintentionally, the most serious part. though. Yeah. Like, there's a part where he's like sitting in a car and they've established he just shoots everyone without like. No, no talk, just shoot. Yeah. And so he's in this car and then like a guard like notices him and then like keeps walking and turns around and approaches. So he just rolls down the window, shoots the guard, rolls the window back up. <laughs> and it's like, it's funny, but I think his look is so serious yeah. that it, yeah. it's 
perfect. But the, so like, there's physical sense. there's physical comedy in this movie that you know he's being funny. The way he walks, the way he'll sort of turn and like snap at Matilda sometimes. The little piggy. The piggy, yeah, yeah the, the piggy. piggy's great. When he does his John Wayne impression, it's hilarious. <laughs> I was laughing my really ass off. Um, so we follow Leon back to his apartment and we get to meet Matilda, played by mm-hmm. Natalie Portman. She's um, looking like an anime character. People, I saw a lot of critiques on the way she's dressed, sexualizing her. I don't know if I necessarily agree. She no. just looks fucking cool. Like, yeah, and, again, like when I was a fashion. kid, it was just like, oh, she's like one of those cool, scary girls. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. That smoke and are way too cool. And she's talk got the about cool haircut. Terrifies me on the bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, she's smoking a cigarette at the staircase. This apparently was a big point of contention for her parents. They read the script. They obviously cut out all the sort of like overt, overt sexual stuff. But a big thing was like they did not want her to be smoking in the movie. Mm. And they tried to cut it completely, but they they eventually made a deal that will allow it. But Natalie can only hold a cigarette five times total throughout the making of the movie. It must be a fake cigarette. She can never inhale. You can't show her inhaling and she won't inhale it. And they said by the end of the movie, you have to make the character quit smoking. So, so and that's what happens in the movie. I saw an interview as part of my research. Mm-hmm. I saw I saw an interview Luke Besson where he was saying for him the plan was always that she quit smoking because she does it for Leon. Mm. Like it's a sign of like she'll actually do something he says mm-hmm. where she won't listen to anyone else. And so he said that's how he finally got the parents on board where he's like it's not like a encouraging kids to smoke it's it's a character who stops smoking yeah wow. like that was his way of like but that's why he needed her to smoke it is funny that like that's the big there's a there's an interview I, I found of natalie portman on conan when she's like 12 yeah i watched it and it's crazy because like they're just making jokes about a little girl with guns shooting. Like it's all like they're just laughing. Because again, this is like pre-Columbine, pre-everything yeah, yeah. where kids can just joke around about playing with guns. And Conan's literally like, was that so fun to get to shoot all these guns and kill people? Yeah. And and it's just funny to like, again, just my oh my, how the times have changed type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like the, the thing they were most worried about is the smoking. Stamp yeah. out smoking. That's like when that was a big campaign, it was a right? Big, I mean, yeah. I remember you did a play when we were I like did. first dating where you had to smoke in the play and it was totally like fake cigarettes. But I remember your dad was like pretty He was scared. very upset, yeah. He was like, I don't like this. But the year before mm. that, I guess we weren't dating for this. I also was really cool and was um, <laughs> a part of this play that traveled around that was all with the stamp out smoking thing and it was like little skits that we would do I can't remember and like that were smoking and then like I can't kiss you or I can't do something and then like there was a car crash so maybe it was drinking included too but it was definitely to try and get kids to not smoke (laughs) I remember we had a we had a, a Kirby Puckett from the Minnesota Twins we had a poster in our classroom in like fourth grade that said smoking fastballs I can handle Smoking cigarettes, I got a problem with. Hell yeah. <laughs> War on cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, as a kid, I thought they were fucking cool as oh hell. Oh my God, I thought they were the coolest. I still they're, think cigarettes what's funny are cool. Is they're like coming back. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. They're Everyone, totally coming they're cool back. cool again. I had like so. a tinker, I had tinker toys and there was like the yellow tinker toy was the perfect size of a cigarette. And mm. so I would walk around pretending to smoke that. My favorite thing to do was to do the... The moment in Ghostbusters when Dan Aykroyd is like yep. in the hallway and he sees Slimer and he lets the cigarette dangle on his lips. 
I could do that with the Tinker Toy. And so I would just do that moment. I would like walk around just like. (laughs) I remember one time being at a bar with my dad, which I don't know why, but I was and eating French fries and holding the French fry like a cigarette, like pretending to smoke. My dad smacked it out of my hand so hard and was like, do you think that's cool? And I was like, no. No, my dad was really against cigarettes, which is funny because like he smokes weed. Oh yeah, I think, (laughs) but he was very, very. I think most parents in the '90s were caught up in the fucking propaganda machine. I mean, it's a good, it's a good propaganda. It's a good propaganda, (laughs) but boy, they hit it hard. I think they really scared American parents that like your kids are gonna start smoking and they're gonna die from it. And yeah, when Conan brings up the smoking thing on that interview, she's like shutting that shit down. She's like, smoking's not good. I know you can like see her eyes kind of gloss <laughs> yeah. over. She like recites the prayer. Exactly. And- she's like, this is what my parents told me. She, she claims that yeah. she got John Renault to quit smoking on the film set too, because she was mm. like, it'll kill you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That sure. French man. Yeah. We get to see Leon's routine. We see that he drinks milk. He waters his plants. Uh, and we see that he likes to go to the movies and watch Gene Kelly movies. That's cute. It is mm-hmm. cute. It's a nice setup. I like this guy. You, you're like, it's sort of like his save the cat moment where you see him do all this stuff and you're like, this is, this is my guy right here. And he sees Matilda. They have a little interaction. She says, is life always this hard? Or just when you're a kid, always like this. <laughs> so then we see her family. Her father is Michael Bataluco, who is the son of Sam killer in the... Summer of Sam. That's my the main thing. He's also in like, oh. Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Um, I know him as the the nice lawyer from the practice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Uh, the her mom is played by the woman who's plays Audrey a in Little Shop of Horrors. Horrors. That's kind of crazy because it's a super small part. She's got a big sister who's like obsessed with aerobics, who's also very mean to her. And then she's got a little brother who she loves. Oh, God, big mistake. Her dad is clearly like a dope holder, and uh, we, we get introduced to him as he's being sort of confronted by these henchmen who are accusing him of cutting the dope because when we brought it here, it was this purity, and now it's less pure, so somebody cut the dope, and we think it was you. He claims it wasn't him, and he's like, look, if you're lying, this guy over here is going to smell it out, and they point to Gary Oldman. He's standing there with his back turned to camera. He's got the headphones in, a Walkman, and he's like, and he hates it when we disturb him from his music. <laughs> But he could sniff Such out a Such a line. good setup for a bad guy. It's Dude, like a six It's the best sense. banger villain. He's- yeah. So are you going to change your tune or do I got to bust him out of his? I love the amount of innuendo in that too. Like he's going to sniff it out, yep. which he literally sniffs. Literally. Are you going to change your tune? He Everything he does is music related. Yeah. <laughs> he's I mean, laying down all the groundwork. I think Luke Besson's not a bad writer. He's not. Yeah, he's like, listen up, old man. <laughs> this guy is going to get you. <laughs> it's almost kind of scary. Yeah. Old scary old man. man. <laughs> Um, and yeah, he, he, he does have to break him out of it. He turns around, great reveal of his face. He literally sniffs him up and down, which according to the research, that was an improv by Gary Oldman, not written into the script. He tells him that he believes him, but he says, you better find out who did it and we're going to come back tomorrow at 12 o'clock and you need to have an answer. Cut to the next day. Matilda decides she's going to go get Leon Milk. Already sort of seeing she's got a little crush on him. And meanwhile, Gary Oldman and his goons come back. And I fucking love this shot. There's this great long push in down the hallway where you see one by one all of his henchmen like 
walk up the stairs and walk past camera and they're all kind of looking over their shoulders. There's, it, it reminds me of another moment in a movie. It just, it, it's getting you jazzed. You're like, okay, this scene's about to fucking happen. But it's a real long push in. And I want to say it's like the scene at the end of Predator 2 when all the Predators come out <laughs> from the fog of the space. <laughs> <laughs> to like get the dead predator it, it's like reminds me of that moment and it literally raises the hairs on my arms like i was just like i re- watched it again last night and i rewound it like three times because i was just like i just love this fucking shot what came out first this or predator 2 i'm, I'm wondering if this if we I can think, elevate predator 2 if predator 2 i came think out predator 2 this. came out before i think predator 2 was 92 and this is 93 or fi- well, 94. That, there you go yeah and yeah Good. gary oldman is the final one and he he steps into frame and he says, I love these calm little moments before the storm. Reminds me of Beethoven. He says, Carm. What is this? Where does that well, come from? Drugs. <laughs> yeah. What are the drugs he's on, too, that make him go into like the Joker? I think it's something. Librium. It's like a bit. Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah. I, it's which? not clear in the movie, but it's supposed to be Librium, which is like a hypnotic uh, sedative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you guys ever taken a pill the way he does it? Just to try it? <laughs> Crack it in between your teeth Crack and then it. like lean back and cock your oh, head to the yeah. side. Dude, he is then, so fucking good in this movie. I mean, this is... This has got to be one of his best performances. Oh, absolutely. Like. It's, an, it's an all-timer. I mean, like this, this period of Gary Oldman where he's doing Drexel and True Romance... <laughs> He's doing Stansfield in in uh, the professional. He goes right into doing fucking Dracula for Francis Ford Coppola. And you I'm pretty sure connect- this was his alcoholic period where he like later on said he was sweating vodka like <laughs> all day long. Do you know the connection between this and True Romance? No. Well, other than all the white Rastafarian characters. <laughs> well, that's so that Rasta dude, his na- his real name he, this is the only movie he's been in. He now does real estate in Miami. Oh my god! <laughs> but his name is Willie One Blood. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I know Willie One Blood from the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. There, yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> Man, the, you know what really drives me crazy? That, that's him. No shit. <laughs> um, and uh, anyhow, so Gary Oldman based uh, Drexel on hanging out with Willie wow. One Blood. Or Willie One Blood. That's amazing. Yeah. So the look and the That's way that guy hilarious. acted. That's I mean, that makes total fucking sense. Especially because Willie Wumblood's cute. Yeah. Oh, he's a good looking guy. He is very Dude, cute. He's a good looking guy. He's like a hot Jared Leto. Yes. Yeah. So Gary Oldman is standing outside Matilda's apartment, grabs a shotgun, cocks it, kicks the door open, and immediately blows away the sister. Walks into the bathroom, blows away the mom who's in the tub. I think this tub shot looks fantastic. It's terrifying it's terrifying it's haunting yeah it's (laughs) insane because the bath is filled with bubbles and it just blows bloody red bubbles all over the place you see a hole at the back of the bathtub yeah it's so brutal it's brutal yeah and that's that's just like what he does right when he walks in then he starts trying to have like a regular old conversation with michael botaluco he's like you don't like beethoven you don't know what you're missing Overtures like that get my juices flowing. So powerful. But after his openings, to be honest, he does tend to get a little fucking boring. That's why I stopped! (laughs) 
touch the apartment. And one of the behind the scenes docs that I watched had like a a series of outtakes of this moment where they just kind of showed a back to back takes that they didn't use. And every take was fucking great. Like he just delivered gold every time and they just picked the weirdest one basically, but they were all fucking great. <laughs> do you ever do you ever watch Predator Two? <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of this guy. Points to oh Willie One Blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Willie One Blood is is like totally Chet Hanksing it. He's like somebody says like, "What are you doing?" He's looking through records and like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Man, keep your bumbler cut mouth shut." <laughs> Dude, bumbleclot. Honestly, like Rasta stuff was big in the nineties. Very. Oh, was I like was a victim of it. it. I was. I, oh. My dream was to have dreadlocks. All I listened to was reggae. I you was... had one of those hats with the built-in oh. dreads. <laughs> yeah, I did, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I like, dude. I was Same. all in. I had Marley everything. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I was full, and yeah. And then when I actually smoked weed for the first time and listened to reggae, I was like, "This is boring." Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> But yeah, before yeah. So well, it's because like it was it permeated the culture. I mean, Predator Two has tons of Rasta in it. Yeah, from romance, New Jack City. I want to say that there was even like a Steven Seagal movie where he claimed to be Rasta. In <laughs> <laughs> Glimmer Man is that? No, I, I want to say it was like Marked for Death. Mm. It was either Marked for Death or or um, what's the one where he they think he's dead? Um. Hard to kill. It's either hard to kill or marked for death. <laughs> I put all I the Seagal movies. I call them begrudgingly bangers. I, I get those mixed up. Yeah, <laughs> begrudgingly they're in, bangers. but I just. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely one where he like claims to be Jamaican or something like. Hey, Bumbaclad man, <laughs> you're messing with my people. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Gary Oldman fucking kills everybody really tense stuff in the sequence too where it's like it's long it's drawn out and what i like is that it keeps cutting to like his henchmen who are hearing him slaughter this family and they're getting scared because they can't see what's going on and so there's even like a tense moment where one of the guys is like hiding behind a wall and he he thinks like somebody's coming and he almost shoots one of the other henchmen it's like building all the suspense and tension out of just the chaos of the moment and meanwhile natalie portman comes home and sees these guys outside in the hallway. She knows what's happening. She decides to sort of like play it cool and walk past. And when she does, she sees like her dead dad in the hallway. She knows what's happening and she goes to Leon's door and pretends to be like that she lives there. And she rings the doorbell. And this moment's fucking great too because she's standing there. You're seeing her through like the peephole of the door and she's going, please open the door. And she's crying. Please open the door. And the, honestly, I was already starting to well up at this moment because she's just yeah. fucking good. And uh, I watched a little interview with her and she said that this was the first day of filming for her and um, she couldn't muster real tears. So they had to use a menthol stick, blow it in her eye and make her cry. And she said it burned so badly that she decided she would never have them use the menthol stick on her again. So every other time in this movie when she cries, it's real tears. But in this moment menthol stick hey man you gotta use a menthol stick use a menthol you gotta stick. do it you gotta do you it. Want regular or menthol 
And my favorite part of this moment is Leon's there, he's watching it through the peephole and she's begging him to open the door, but he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to get caught. And then you see him hesitate and then it cuts to the shot of Natalie Portman and all you see is the light of the door like reveal on her. That's fucking cinema, baby. Mm-hmm. That's like beautiful. It's just good filmmaking. <laughs> we don't yeah. need to see the door open. We just need to see the light with a little. It could have used cue. like a little. Yeah. Ding dong. A detail that I love from that scene, which yeah. again, going back to like uh, Renault being funny. Mm-hmm. So. A little bit later, the one of, one of the goons comes to they thinks Natalie Portman's in Renault's apartment or yes. in Leon's apartment, and so like Leon puts his gun up to the door, and then like you could see him looking in the eye hole and then guessing where the guy's yeah he, adju- might be, he readjusts his gun adjustment yeah it's great it's awesome. There's a lot of little deep like the movie is not afraid to like build moments you know like yeah. think about what inserts do we need to like really build the tension of this moment, which is just a sign of like. A good visual filmmaker, and you know, Lupusan is that. And yeah, they say the cops are here. What do you want me to tell them? And then Gary Oldman says, "Tell them we were doing a job," <laughs> <laughs> which I guess is supposed to be the reveal that they are cops. Which but it's I like didn't a little get. confusing. I did not get until later on. I was like, "Wait, he's a cop? Yeah, <laughs> like, he's, a, he's he's a DEA agent." It's more revealed later, but I think yeah. this is supposed to be like the big dun dun dun. And moment. that's what. When you look at it as this was written by a 14-year-old who doesn't know what the world actually is. 100%. Also, too, a funny thing. I watched an interview with Gary Oldman. And um, in this moment when Willie Oneblood finds the dope, he goes, found it. And then Gary Oldman goes, bingo. (laughs) And uh, Gary Oldman said, um, the interviewer says, like, did you do any preparation for this role? (laughs) And Gary Oldman said, the only thing that I really prepared for was the moment when I said, bingo. <laughs> I was like, you're fucking nuts and I love it. Man. You're just fucking crazy. Because obviously, too, you watch Gary Oldman's performance. He prepares everything. Like, you can, you can just yeah. tell this guy is an overachiever. I love him to death. Yeah. But this is the most prepared <laughs> performance ever. He went in with all these choices pre-planned. But, yeah, I love the guy. And, uh, the yeah, the scene that actually did bring tears to my eyes is this kitchen scene where Matilda is crying about her brother and Jean Renault tries to cheer her up and he says, I have a, a nice piggy in the kitchen. And she's like, no, you don't. Yes, I do. She's like, I was just in there and there wasn't a fucking pig. <laughs> and he goes into the kitchen and then all of a sudden he just slips his little hand out and he's got oh, this piggy so oven mitt. Hi, Matilda. How are you today? And when the moment that fucking got the tears is he does that and she goes, hi, piggy. She buys into it. <laughs> like she, she's a fucking kid and a kid who just lost her whole fucking family and this little doll it reminded me of like the um that elmo documentary yeah the elmo documentary (laughs) or the the mr rogers documentary where it's like if you put a fucking sock on your hand and you go up to a young child and you start talking to it they will talk to your hand like it's a real thing and there's a beautiful this is a beautiful moment yeah um you talk to your kids with uh puppets on your hand never (laughs) (laughs) 
I like to keep a certain distance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your puppets are remote control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You drive them in like a tank. <laughs> you never leave this office, actually. Yeah. That's yeah. right. They've never even met me. Um, yeah. You're always in your little, like, shack. Yeah. Not Pay no attention garage. to the man behind the shack. <laughs> Uh, and also, the, what what makes this moment work too is the music. The music is done by Eric Sarah. Oh, it's a really baby. beautiful score, and it has really cool action beats. But I think when it gets like emotional or you know weirdly romantic, it's it's quite effective. It's the same guy who did the music for the Fifth Element. He does the music for all of Luc Besson's movies, and I got a lot of Fifth Element in these moments. Like there's a there the scene that sticks out in the Fifth Element is when. Um, Mila Jovovich is trying to get Bruce Willis to let her in and she's going, please help. And there's like a really sincere score behind it where he's like mm-hmm. struggling. And that's what so much of this, these scenes reminded me of. And they're like, they're good. Yeah, there's, it's funny that I always love when you can see like the same threads throughout mm-hmm. the director's movies and just like, yeah, like apartment hallway is a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> like asking for help. Accordion. The, Accordion the, is a big one. Yeah, a character who doesn't know how to function in the world has to be taught to do so so they can be used. Yeah, uh, to kill. For, you, for you could you could argue or, yeah. that Mila Jovovich is a ch- is a child has a child's brain in the fifth yeah. element. So there's <laughs> the same and sort of ter- and just like Lafem Nikita, who's like a, a street animal, mm-hmm. like it's like we're gonna make you part of society so we can use you as a weapon. Yeah, he's got his and thing. That, yeah. Hey, man. I was gonna say, I, I in re, in doing my own research on this sucker, same uh, composer who did Goldeneye. Oh hell yeah! Which which led me to a thirty minute interview with the guys who did the Goldeneye video game music. Oh, which is great. Is did he but, was um, he involved in that or was that no totally no, no separate different guys? composer? But um, that that's a whole story in itself. I've heard some stuff about the GoldenEye game that it was like a race to the finish, and they didn't they almost got shut down at one point, and they didn't have the multiplayer until like the last second. All the sort of things that made it iconic was all sort of like happenstance right at the end of it. You know? Oh yeah, the guy who made the music for it was like his first video game score he ever made. It's amazing. Wow. It's like there's like Faith No More samples and stuff hidden in oh, it. Oh wow! And, uh, yeah, it's like a whole thing. <laughs> like, it's cool. awesome. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's where I got sucked into. It. Uh, <laughs> uh, she ends up finding his guns. She's like, "What do you do? I'm a cleaner. You kill people. No women, no children." So she says she wants to be a cleaner. He won't fucking do it. Begs him to, and he's like, you probably couldn't even handle it. And she has this crazy moment where she grabs one of his guns and just starts firing it out the window. I was like, pretty taken aback by that moment. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, makes them have to leave. And uh, as they're going through this, he starts kind of inadvertently teaching her. He's like, you can't just do things like that. Like, there are rules. You have to be professional. So they have to leave. They check into a hotel. He can't read. And so she has to sort of take charge and fill out the forms, and she tells him that this is her dad and stuff. Funny, she fills out the forms as um, Mr. and Mrs. McGuffin. Ah, A little filmmaking reference for (laughs) you. So there's this like pretty also crazy sequence where he takes her up to this rooftop. He puts together this sniper rifle, and he says, okay, pick, pick somebody. Look through the scope and pick anybody. And I love the way it builds the sequence up because you don't, you're just sort of like, 
is he going to have her fucking shoot somebody? <laughs> right. She picks some random guy who turns out to be like a politician with like security guards and stuff. That's something that I've always wondered with the European making an American movie. Is it supposed to be like Bill Clinton? That's what I thought. I 100% was is like, like, is this oh, supposed to be Bill Clinton? I didn't this think like about the, that, but he does look like Bill the Clinton. The French yeah. guy who's heard some American news and yes. saw like Bill Clinton this on an SNL funny. sketch. But like, where it's <laughs> like, we got to make this look natural, but it's not. It because- felt like an SNL sketch. <laughs> Well, and it's the type of thing where, like, if you, you know, if you're from France, can you tell the difference between different American yeah. accents? So is he <laughs> yeah. not picking up that Clinton has a certain, like, they have the wrong accent? On yeah, the no, he doesn't yeah, look yeah. at all like So Clinton. it's not landing. But yeah, he's got Secret Service, two limos, and he needs to make it look natural. <laughs> yeah. So she, are they basically saying he just shot the president? Yeah. She just shot the president. <laughs> And it, yeah, but, she, does, she she gets him in her sights and he's like, pull the trigger. She shoots and it turns out it's like a high range paintball gun. Also on my list of what I don't love about the movie. Just Please. because it's not realistic. That's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's even a, at 14, I was like, it's a child brain thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. And a very, it feels very, this whole part feels European. Like I just don't see this making it through an American script notes process. The whole right. way through. I think people would be like, none of this is something we would do yeah. here. But he does it, and I kind of love it for it. <laughs> but it's also, it's like, aside from, because it's so, it works so well until the paintball reveal. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, is he going to Because you're like really into it. Really, sure. Yeah, and he's teaching her, and like, it, it's all working. And then I'm like, how did, how, wait. Also, <laughs> they keep cutting to her view of the guy running. Yeah, and he keeps getting closer, 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 out of focus multiple times, but she's sitting in the same spot. <laughs> so unless he's running forwards and backwards, forwards and backwards, yeah. it's uh. But you know, it's all about the ride. I can guarantee that. you, Luke Masson never touched a real gun before he started making movies. Right, so he's just basing this all off of action movie shit that he's seen and believe it or not that's actually the secret of most great bangers yeah you don't want someone who actually knows about guns otherwise you wouldn't get the fucking machine gun with a rocket launcher attached to it that doesn't exist in real life also the uh, another thing on my list of things i don't like about this movie i noticed all the cops at the end when they're storming sorry we haven't gotten there yet Mm -hmm. They're guns i'm like i haven't seen those guns what what are these big weird looking rifles like they (laughs) So I looked them up. They're SIG SG540s, which are a European gun that had, aren't used in America. Uh, <laughs> well, so yeah. I like saw every country they're used in. It's all these European countries like yeah. Argentina and South America, like all this stuff. And then they were also what all the cops were using in La Femme Nikita last night. Hell yeah. Uh, so well, that's like, tracks- all right, he, he has like a gun he likes. And they're um, shooting in France. Yeah. Like the all the right. interiors of this movie are shot in France, and then they did all some. They did a few New York exteriors, but for the most part, this was all done with a European crew. So yeah, that's probably just what they had the props to. Yeah, play too, you know, <laughs> bunch um, of New York cops using NATO guns. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, so she starts teaching him how to read and write, while he's teaching her how to kill. He also teaches her how to water the plant. His mm-hmm. best friend. It's just like me, no roots. Honestly, that made me feel bad for our plants. I was like, we do not treat our plants. Oh, yeah. Well. And she encourages him that you should just go plant this plant in a... If you really love it. Give it roots. The opposite, if you love it, set it free. Yeah. If you love it, tie it down, baby. Yeah. That's the way I feel. Lock it down. <laughs> if you love it, dig a hole and jam it in there. <laughs> 
which that's my biggest problem with this movie which when we get there at the end yep. I'm like, oh, i have that that's uh in bold on my list of what <laughs> i don't too. love me too <laughs> but i'll save it till we yeah, get yeah we'll there. save it you get some bjork music in this sequence what are your what's yep. your what's your bjork take you like bjork yeah i don't like bjork <laughs> <laughs> i find her music to be irksome there's been a few tracks that i've enjoyed over the years but like it didn't do it for me in this i sequence. used to pretend like i liked her a lot because in high school it was like very cool to like bjork and yeah. i was like hell yeah i love bjork i'm cool artsy girl too but i kind of agree yeah Hmm. I'm looking at my list here of what I love. Let's see here. <laughs> the score, most notably, bathroom scene and Bjork montage. So I'm gonna have to. Uh, no man. And again, you got it. This is like before Bjork was Bjork. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. this was French guy brings cool music into mm -hmm. a weird movie. Hey. So he I was, think he um, was with it for sure. Part the of the mystique of this film when it came out is what's this weird montage? Also, a Bjork montage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So <laughs> I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him. Yeah. Um, so then we get one of our first scenes that I think was in the theatrical cut, but definitely made people sort of uncomfortable, which is Natalie Portman gets bored of training. And she says, we need to play a game to stimulate our brains. And she plays this game where she goes and rummages through the closet and starts dressing up as celebrities. And Leon has to guess who they are. And the first one she dresses up as is Madonna. Like a bird. She does her makeup, she does the classic Madonna look, singing like a virgin. Okay, who is it? I don't know. Okay. The next one she does is Marilyn Monroe, where she's doing Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Mr. President. I don't know. Again, I think this makes people uncomfortable. And then she does Charlie Chaplin. And this is when people say, thank God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Thank God she's doing Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. Uh, he doesn't get it. And then finally she comes out as Gene Kelly from Singing in the Rain. And he knows Gene Kelly because he's been watching these Gene Kelly. Just singing in the rain. What a beautiful... Gene Kelly? <sighs> Good. Your turn now. Huh? And so now it's his turn, and uh, he does, I think, a fantastic impression of John Wayne. Okay, Peter Graham. Uh... His body language, the way he's, like, limping out and contorting. Yeah, good. He's good. He does good. And, of course, she doesn't fucking know who John Wayne is. Uh, and the interview that I saw with uh, Natalie Portman, this was, she auditioned, in her audition process, they asked her to actually do this game, and they said, do three characters that you know. So she knew, she did Madonna, Marilyn Monroe, and Charlie Chaplin. Oh. Yeah. That was her choice. But the funny thing is, is she said she actually didn't know who Marilyn Monroe was. She was doing Mike Myers impersonating Marilyn Monroe from Wayne's World. <laughs> Which was my same when I saw this movie the first time. I didn't know who Marilyn Monroe was. I knew the, that's exactly how I would have known. And, and that that seems weird too because it is uncomfortable. But it, and this is one of those like we can't really if we're just talking about the movie as it is. Yeah, let's forget what Luke Besson may have been going for. But the reality is like I have an eight year old daughter who's obsessed with the Spice Girls. Yeah, 
And she will just sing Spice Girls song. We're like, she'll come up to me, but she, she's like, "Let's get it on, let's get it on." <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. like, uh, I no, maybe you don't need to sing that one to me, pal. Yes. And so it is this weird thing where it's like, and again, I think that's part of who knows what he was trying to do, but he actually nailed a very authentic thing. Which I is absolutely, like I thought the same what girls thing. Do I remember being a little girl and putting socks like in my shirt because yeah. I like wanted to like have boobs and stuff and like walking around my house like like that was just such I, at, a part of at her age I would openly talk to my friends about wanting to have sex with Kirstie Alley from Look Who's Talking. Dude, I didn't know. Don't what's... get me. Is it all right? We'll save that for another <laughs> podcast. Dude. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I didn't know what sex was in my mind. I think sex was getting naked and like running around rolling around you know i had no idea what it actually yeah i know meant. the exact scene you're talking about that might make you think that's what it is <laughs> from the look who's talking vhs yep. yes uh and so it's similar like, experience yeah th- that's the way child children explore sexuality just like they explore violence and i think yes it's sort of taboo to see this in a movie but i don't necessarily think it's wrong to try to explore this in a movie it's uncomfortable it's just uncomfortable i think it's supposed to be he's clearly uncomfortable in this scene and again he's the mvp i think of this movie natalie portman is the big show you know she's the rain man but john renault is the tom cruise He's holding this piece together. Because <laughs> my big take on Rain Man is Tom Cruise is the best actor in that movie, even though Dustin Hoffman gets all the credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is holding that shit together. It's harder than it looks, folks. And John Renault, I salute you, bud. You're doing a good job. Because this character could be creepy as fuck. Yeah. But he's playing him perfectly. Yeah, I think, you know, I think just to maybe keep things more streamlined, though, he's probably basing that off of Danny Glover from Predator 2. Together, surrounded by so much chaos. So. Yeah, the interviewer is asking Natalie Portman, like, did did Luke Besson screen any movies for you? She was like, every day, Predator Two. Which, by the way, Predator Two was was directed We're by actually doing Predator Two right now. <laughs> Predator Two is directed by the same. He's an Australian filmmaker who did like Judgment Night. Oh, and he fucking rocks. And I can't remember his name right now, but again, it's like. The European invasion, man. They they came mm-hmm. and they made their mark. Come on back, guys. I think there, there I think there's something to to not quite understanding the like the outsider perspective on the culture and then mm-hmm. doing a version where I think that's what gives it that like heightened dangerous feel. American filmmakers should be going to other countries more and trying to make movies for their countries. Dude, and- I would love to make like an Australian yes. movie. Yes. <laughs> It's like everyone's got a crocodile. Dude, to make like an exploitation movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> They'll like ride around in kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. You know what I would have done in this scene if I was having to get Leon to... <laughs> oh, God, what? what do you, you think say would... Predator 2, I'm going <laughs> to... What do you think would be worse? Matilda, Natalie Portman doing Madonna like she does in the movie or if she... Bent over and talked with her ass like Ace Ventura. Because <laughs> that's what I would have done. Yep. That I, I, that Excuse is, me, sir. Can I ask you a question? We have opened that Pandora's box at the Faf House. <laughs> well, I showed him Ace Ventura, so I get a lot of buttholes talking to you um, on a regular basis. I just have to live with it now. <laughs> Afraid I'll make a stink? Asshole mia, osada mia. Do you think Jim Carrey could have done Gary Oldman's part in this? 
Ooh, and then it makes you wonder could Gary Oldman have been Ace Ventura I think yes 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 to that (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure Jim Carrey has quite the demonic energy to pull off Stansfield yeah or even Drexel for that matter like I think it would just lean too hard towards comedy yeah I think Jim Carrey's good at tapping into emotion like Mm -hmm. being uh, sincere and sensitive I don't know how scary he is, though. Well, what ever... was that movie we watched? Room 217 or something? R- uh, no, the number, the number 23. 23. <laughs> yeah, the number 23. Sucks. Bad. Michael sucks Jordan. Ass. Scary. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, that was rough. Honestly, his Grinch sucks ass. <laughs> I'll say it. His Grinch sucks. That's too hot of a take. Yeah, I just want to thank you for inviting me on the podcast <laughs> where we uh, make fun of Jim Carrey. <laughs> Hey, one of our Patreon episodes is top five Jim Carrey movies. We celebrated him big on this show. He's a good guy. <laughs> Jim Carrey, if you're listening. You're, you're we love you, man. Dude. We love fan. you, dude. Big fan. Um, and yeah, at this point, Matilda starts kind of confessing her love to Leon. And this is when the movie starts to now turn into an uncomfortable territory. She confesses in him that she has this feeling for him. She thinks it's love. It's a feeling in her stomach. It's all warm. She said there was a knot that was there and it's not there anymore. He has a really funny line where he's like, well, I'm glad your stomach doesn't hurt anymore. But I don't think that means anything, Matilda. But what's weird about this scene is like, this is kind of where the filmmaking turns in because as she's describing it, she's like running her hand down her body and it feels like she's going to go down her pants. She stops at her stomach, but the camera is like, giving you inserts of like her hand rubbing her midriff or belly. And yeah, that's, that's Luke Bassand and Luke Bassand also, he's his own uh, camera operator. It's one of his things. So we know he's right there doing that. And this is one of the moments where I was like, this feels weird. Yep. I'm on paper. This scene does not feel weird to me, but watching it and the way he's shooting it. It's a weird, have you ever, it's this weird thing. Uh, have you ever seen that movie Come and See? Yeah. The, it's like the, war the most movie. Dis- mm-hmm. Yeah, the most insane movie I've ever seen. Very disturbing. Very disturbing. And in that there's like they're actually using real explosives around ki- the it's like starring a kid to shell and, shock him. Yeah. And <sighs> there's a scene where this kid they actually have live ammunition flying overhead. You can see the tracer bullets and stuff. Mhm. And it just, you feel this sense of danger for the... The actor. And it's one of those where it makes the movie absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And this shot is the same thing where it's like, you feel really uneasy, really uncomfortable. And it's like that weird thing where it's like, in terms of like a movie getting the job done of making you feel a certain way, it's doing it. But it has this dirty feel to it. It's like, oh, I don't know if you're supposed to have live bullets overhead, man. Right, yeah. And, that, and, this, and the, that shot definitely, you're just like, yep. uh oh. Yeah, I, this this is one of the scenes that did actually give me the ick in a way that For sure. I understand well, why people are are allergic to this stuff. And I, what, what's weird about it too is, again, that when the family gets shot, that bathtub shot mm-hmm. is like one of the most disturbing shots I've seen in a movie. And so is this little girl belly button and it yeah. so it is like this weird thing where it's like that's the same brain is going deep into both directions yeah mm-hmm. and i think it's it you know it's like i don't quite know the answer where it's why is it that i admire the brutality of the bathtub shot where i really appreciate his willingness to go there and i'm just completely 
you know, repulsed by his willingness to go the other direction. Well, part, yeah. of, part of this one, too, is I think there's a little bit more of a, of a victim in this where, you know, I, I don't think Natalie Portman feels victimized by this movie. I watched a lot yeah. of interviews with her. She seems to have pretty fun. I mean, this started her career. She mm-hmm. seemed to have come out of it feeling like it was a beautiful experience. It was something that she really wanted to do. It does sound like her parents were very much involved in there and watching over and safeguarding, but it does feel like an exploitation mm-hmm. of a of her in this yeah. moment that the bathtub scene doesn't feel like you don't think that I don't feel like the actress is being exploited for that moment. It's us. That's be- right. Yeah. Or maybe you're just a little more joy associated with like, by, like, like you can tell they're a little into it where the bathtub. Yeah. Anyhow, but I do think it's for me, what's more interesting is just, you got to go real deep in a dark direction mm-hmm. to get something that is the viewer will really just like hit you in a certain, you know, right. mm-hmm. And I think he unapologetically goes there for sure in a bunch of times in this movie. Do you ever um, like to get your hands on the camera when you're directing? Like, do you? Do you... No, I've ne- I'd never touched a camera until, or I yeah, since film school, I haven't touched a camera. Wow, I don't know how to. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> how know where to start. Where's the record yeah. button? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't I, I don't want to step on toes, so I don't often do it. The only times I've ever stepped in and done it are when I can very clearly see that the camera operator is struggling. And I right. feel like, let me take the load off and I, maybe I can just get it for us. That's really the only time, in, unless like I'm DPing something, yeah. which I've done a number of times. Or anytime I'm shooting bare feet. Yeah. Get the fuck out. <laughs> In which case, that's a closed set, you know, and I want to pull focus. I want to run sound. I want to do all yeah. of it. <laughs> Hair and makeup, I'll take over from here. Yeah. Jack, Jack's got this one, guys. Why don't you take five? Um, <laughs> this scene rightfully sort of freaks Leon out. He leaves. Natalie Portman ends up going downstairs and telling the bellhop. Yeah, the scene pissed me off. She's a, he's actually not my dad. We're lovers. Oh yeah, but like, this why? felt so real to me too because she's a child and children can be little shits and they want. She's in a fantasy. Yeah, it feels like something a little kid would do. It's like yeah, gonna tie to me again. Yeah, that's one where it like yeah, I knew that girl growing. up. Mm-hmm. I knew a couple versions For of that sure. girl. So the shoe fits, but yeah, it's it's as infuriating to watch as like the bikini models at the end of Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like, what are you doing? No, stop, no, this is ruining everything. <laughs> But thankfully, um, because this movie is written by a man with a child's brain, it does not result in the, the police getting called or yeah. any sort of... It, they just get booted out of the hotel and they got to go find a new <laughs> hotel. <laughs> yeah, Gary Oldman shows up. I understand there's a pedophile. <laughs> Intense scene where she goes back to the apartment where her family lived. It's a crime scene. An emotional moment where she literally like stands over the chalk outline of her That's brother. the most heartbreaking scene. Heart-wrenching. She picks up some of his dolls and stuff, and then she's she's there to to get some money that's been stashed in the floorboards. So great scene, great stuff. A lot of a lot of important things happen in this scene. Mm-hmm. It's also in my list of what I don't love about this movie. Uh-huh. The timing makes absolutely no sense because at this point, it's like she's been with Leon for at least a week or two. Yeah. So the door, it's still a crime scene, and she just happens <laughs> yeah. to go back two weeks later, right when the cops decide to bring Gary Oldman to do the two-minute walkthrough of what happened here. Yeah. So that was the part where I was just like, wait, this isn't making any, you know. Uh, yeah. Th- so that kind of took me out of it, even though it's very important stuff. But there's a little bit of that throughout where there's a lot of just a little too convenient 
Yeah. For sure. Just like, let's uh, connect all this as quick as possible. My favorite moment of it, though, is, yeah, Gary Oldman comes in with like, I, I what I assume is like internal affairs who are investigating him. <laughs> and he's trying to like beat around the bush and get these guys off his tail. And he has a great line where he says like, I'm tired of this Mickey Mouse bullshit. And he pulls out a can of Banaka spray <laughs> and like <laughs> fires off like six shots into his mouth that half of which don't even go into his mouth. <laughs> It's so fucking funny, and it reminded me of Dumb and Dumber, which again was 1994, huge year for Banaka spray. Mm-hmm. What's happened to Banaka? Why don't we use it anymore? People stopped smoking. Oh, oh. it was more for the smokers. But, but bad breath still exists, my man. We need that Banaka back. I remember I wanted it so badly, purely because of Dumb and Dumber. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I thought it was the funniest gag, and the second I got one, I tried to do the Dumb and Dumber gag and sprayed my friend in the fucking face (laughs) and created tears and crying and burning. And I was like, oh, this is actually kind of dangerous. Didn't expect that. Because in my mind, I had no idea what he was spraying. I didn't understand that it was like mint, you know, like that it burned. Even when I sprayed it into my mouth, I choked, you know, it was like not prepared for it. Do you think that's what they sprayed Natalie Portman's eyes? Just Banaka spray? (laughs) Like when they say mint spray, is that what they're talking about? That's what it was. Well, are you legitimately asking? Yeah. And no, in real life, it's um, it's a menthol stick, and you blow it. It's it's wow. almost like a straw, and you kind of like softly blow it into their eyes. It is like a menthol banaka stuff, but you're mostly just blowing the fume. They're mm. not actually like squirting anything, right? Well, I've never actually seen that. I've only ever seen the stick that you like rub under your eye. That's like kind of like Vaseline that you put mm. in that has menthol in it. That makes your eyes burn. That's new technology. Yeah. Yeah. That's- that's yeah. high tech. It's pretty cool. Honestly, Cora, hmm. next Christmas, stocking stuffer, throw me some Banaka spray. You got it's it. like the perfect stocking stuffer, and I'd want one. I'll carry it around my pocket. Kind of an insulting stocking stuffer. <laughs> That's okay. She, last, this Christmas, she put Listerine strips in there. And Aww. I said, what are you trying to say? You like Listerine strips, though, and you haven't been able to find well, them. I, it's I like, very thoughtful. I like Listerine. I do like the feeling of a fresh mouth. So yeah. the strips were great. You're welcome. Um, Then we get another scene that is not in the theatrical cut. This is when we start to get a bunch of non-theatrical cut stuff. This is where the international cut starts kicking in. Matilda takes the money and she gets from the floorboard and she tries to pay Leon to kill Stansfield. And he won't do it. He says, it's too heavy. She says, well, lend me your gear and I'll fucking do it. And he says, revenge is not good, Matilda. Nothing is the same after you've killed someone. You have to sleep with one eye open for the rest of your life. And she says, I don't give a shit about sleeping, Leon. I want love or death. <laughs> Damn, she hardcore. Loads, she loads a single bullet into his revolver and spins the chamber and puts it to her fucking head. This is wild. I was agog. I don't remember it at all. Yeah, this is not in the original. This is not the this American is, This cut. is an international okay, yeah. cut scene. Same here. I was having the same thing. I was like, wait. If, uh, she says, we're going to yeah. play a game, and if I win... You have to keep me with you for life. And if I lose, you can go back to shopping alone like before. And he's like, I can hear the bullets in the chamber. Like, you're going to lose. And she's like, well, I really hope that deep down inside there's no love in you. Because if there's any little bit of love, I think in a few minutes you'll regret you ever said anything. And she pulls the trigger and he grabs the gun right at the last second. And there's a fucking chamber. There's a live round in there. Shoots a lamp. And she goes, I guess I win. This scene is intense. Russian roulette. That's what this game is called, right? Yeah. When you did that. Mm-hmm. That 
I don't know why, but as a kid, much like how um, quicksand like haunted children of like, oh, no, what am I going to have to do? I used to think about Russian roulette all the time of like, what will I do? Like it would like make me kind of panic of like, what would I do if I was put in a Russian roulette situation? Like and I had to do it. Like I used to think about it a lot. Do you remember where you first discovered it? No, no. Deer Hunter was me. That was my first introduction to. Do you ever see 13s of Medi? No, I've never even heard of that. Ooh, it's good. It's uh, maybe like 2005 French movie mm-hmm. where a dude who's like uh, working on a house, like he's like uh, painting a house or something mm-hmm. and finds in the mail an invitation for a game where you can win like a million bucks. So he goes instead of the person who lives at the house and it turns out it's like a Russian roulette competition, Ooh. like starts with 100 guys and only one person wins. Wow. And it's intense. That like, should be a genre of movies. The Russian, Russian roulette, roulette. <laughs> really in Russian roulette core. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really good. It's wild. Ooh. The you best part is the trailers like this really artfully done French trailer. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the title 13 Zamedi comes on with this like American voice, like 13 Zamedi. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, highly recommend it. Hey, that sounds good. I'm going to put it on the list. So then we get an extended montage of them going on hits. Basically, because she won the game, he's like, well, I guess you got to be with me now. This is also in, only in the international cut. It's a pretty big montage where they go. They first start with this one guy where, again, like you think he's going to let her kill him. But it also turns out to be a paintball gun. But then he ends up killing the guy. And she gets a moment where she sets all the drugs on fire. And he's like, what are you doing? And she says, you said no women, no kids. Who do you think this is going to kill? Donkeys and monkeys? Sets the drugs on fire. Hey, Hello. she's got a fucking point. I'm surprised she didn't like burn. Like there are a bunch of cigarettes on the table. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. Breaking them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we get like an extended montage where they kill like 10 different people doing this trick where they knock on the door and she pretends to be a helpless little girl and he cuts the chain. Good trick. Great trick. And then one important mm-hmm. aspect is the final guy that they do. He's a crazy nut with a machine gun. He starts shooting at him through the door. And so crazy nut or smart. And it's like, I'm sniffing this out. Yeah. I guess he's smart. And he's, crazy nut played by Luke Besson. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Apparently. That's cool. I read it on a thing. Yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> you hear his voice and then there's like a cool shot of him in the dark and you can see his face lit by like the muzzle yeah. flashes. And Jean Renault says like, um, hey, you ever heard of the ring trick? And he's like, nah, show it to me, asshole. <laughs> and he basically pulls a ring out of her grenade and just tosses it through the hole in the door, blows his ass up, and then he shows Matilda the ring in his hand. He goes, that's the ring trick. That'll come back uh, and play. A little, little movie detail thing, mm-hmm. too. So when I was looking up these guns, because it was really bugging yeah. me. Like, I haven't seen these guns <laughs> in other bangers. What are these guns? <laughs> There's like a website, like movieguns.com. Movie, yeah. well, like, isn't, is it, isn't it like IMDFB or something? It's like something, the International Movie Firearm Database. Or yeah, exactly. And apparently, same way that they establish when she loads the gun for Russian roulette mm-hmm. and he can hear that there's a bullet in a chamber, which also, on my list of what I don't love, he's a professional with no ear protection. <laughs> killing people left and right with guns all the time yet he can still hear like when anyhow so he can hear that the bullets in the chamber well apparently in part of this montage he has this certain type of machine gun that's like a very rare weird cool machine gun mm-hmm. and they show him loading it and it's got a weird sound to it uh-huh. and apparently if you're like a gun guy or know what's going on that's the same sound he hears loading in that apartment so he knows oh. it's going to be the machine. So oh. it's like, 
So basically, people like who know Deep. about guns know notice that little detail. Wow. Cool. So he hears the type of gun the guy gun has nuts. and like yeah. get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear that, Corey? You're a gun. You're a gun nut. Oh yeah, hardcore gun. You nut. could. You heard mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Listen. <laughs> For listeners at home, Ian has a bright orange mega nerf wow. gun that looks pretty sweet. That is huge. It's got a um, it's got a, a sniper scope on it. Dang. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's so it's, big that it looks like it would feel good to get shot by. Like a it's, pillow. It's would more fun out. to play with. Just the actual, like just doing this. It's got a big uh yeah. Anyhow. Also, I meant to ask you, what's your relationship with physical media? Like you're a guy who I sort of consider a collector because you've always got materials and things. You build a lot of stuff out of bits and pieces. You got more drawers and shelves than anybody I know, but where's the <laughs> where do the DVDs fall in that collection? You got any? Well, like everyone, I was really into collecting DVDs like high school, college. Mm-hmm. In this the My, day when I got this Leon DVD. Yeah. My proudest you know, thing is it, back in film school when everyone was getting real into Truffaut and Fellini and everything, I made it a point to get into Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. So uh-huh. I like own, I still own every DVD. The only one I never found was a made for TV movie he directed called Christmas in Connecticut. Oh, wow. But other than that, I've like got a Hallmark every movie Channel movie. Uh, I can't remember what Sounds it was. Like, like CBS or something. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I've got every Arnold DVD ever made. And, um, Nice. Was really into that. And then at some point, you know, 10 years after that, when Blu-ray was a thing and DVD was on the outs, moved to L.A., needed money for rent, sold, it all. sold them all at Amoeba for like 40 yeah. bucks. And uh, I had those days. There's a lot that I used I to have. I still have all the Schwarzeneggers, but nothing else. Gotcha. Understandable. And I wish, yeah, I wish I still did, especially now that like certain things are harder to find. Or, yeah. Yeah. But isn't but- there like a shelf life on discs anyway? Like. I've we'll heard, but I mean, I haven't point. reached them. None of mine have reached them. No. It's definitely a longer shelf life than VHS. And there's still plenty of VHS that are kicking. I just saw a thing, I guess, you know, Wayne's World when he goes to the music shop and he grabs the guitar and he no plays stairway. stairway, but it's not Stairway. I saw the same thing. Yeah. Apparently it's Stairway. HBO Max has like the version. And like all the DVD copies yeah, yeah. had like the fake version of it, but... Now on HBO, you can like watch the real version. Yeah. That actually, <laughs> plays the real chords. Because I never understood. I thought maybe I hadn't heard the right version of Stairway this whole time. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it. Another international cutscene that is pretty cringy. They go to a restaurant to celebrate her first kill. I uh, hate this scene. He lets her drink champagne, and she goes, "I'm not supposed to drink." And he says, "Well, we're making exceptions for your first kill." And she goes, "Well, since we're making exceptions for a job well done." <laughs> How about a kiss? And of course he says no, but she starts like forcing herself on him and he has to kind of push her away and be like, just drop it. And they're in a restaurant, so people are looking and everything. And then she guzzles champagne, burps, and then hysterically laughs. Oh, it's so creepy. It's like the creepiest scene of the movie. (laughs) It is extremely awkward and cringy. I got to say, Natalie Portman fucking kills it. She's incredible in it. The way she laughs is like so authentic. She's good. Mm -hmm. So Leon decides he's going to go on a big job and he's not going to take her. We don't know what it is, but we soon find out what it is. Matilda decides to go and try and kill Gary Oldman herself. She poses as like a food delivery girl for Italian restaurant. She sneaks into the police station. She follows him into the bathroom and then he Gets a jump on her, closes the door, corners her, and is like, 
special delivery, huh? Now, let me guess. Chinese? Thai, maybe? I've got it. Italian food. And now I want you to tell me everything you know about Italian food. And don't forget the name of the chef who fixed it for me. Nobody sent me. I do business for myself. So th th this, this is something personal, is it? Is it? Do you like life, sweetheart? Yes. No pleasure in taking life if it's from a person who doesn't care about it. Oh, the best bad guy shit. He pulls his gun out and he starts like rubbing it on her face. But then old Willy One Blood, <laughs> man, yep. you know what really drives me crazy, comes <laughs> popping into the bathroom. <laughs> and he's like, Malky's dead, which is one of his, basically his right hand man. Yeah. And Willie Oneblood tells the story that Malky was going to go meet these Chinese guys to do a drug deal. And some guy, some mystery guy, an Italian guy. Somebody serious. Somebody serious. Comes in, kills everybody, saves Malky for last, and right before he pulls the trigger, he says, no women, no kids. And Gary, and we see it. There's a cool like flash to it, and you see mm -hmm. Leon shimmying in and out of the frame and killing all these dudes. Kind of funny. Looking yeah, in this little moment. Bugs Bunny. <laughs> it's yeah. very Looney Tunes. Um, but the sequence is good, and I like Willie One Blood, and he's like telling the story good. Gary Oldman pretty much puts the pieces together that like that's they're probably connected. This guy, this Italian man, and this pretty girl. Pretty convenient. Pretty convenient. She brought Italian food. You know, he's mm -hmm. putting the pieces together. So he basically kidnaps her, and this is the moment when he says, "Death is whimsical today." <laughs> Yeah, that bathroom scene might be one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Great. And yeah. the music, the score in that yes. scene is incredible. It's just yes. this like low drone mm -hmm. thing. Like it's yeah, everything Scary. about that scene mm -hmm. rules. And there's a great moment where Leon finds out where she is and he goes in, and he kills Willie One Blood. Ugh. Grabs her and hugs her and there's this awesome shot where it like cuts to their feet and you see her feet dangling and his feet cuz he's holding her. It's a pretty beautiful little shot. And then we get the most awkward scene, the big climactic Lolita scene where they go home and Leon has gotten her this pink dress as like a Ugh. gift to try to cheer her up at one point. She puts on the pink dress. She comes out. You like it? You like it? He's like, I do. We'll say so. <laughs> Mamma mia. And um, <laughs> she basically says she wants to make love to him and she wants it to be her first time. And she says, you know, girl's first time is very important. It determines the rest of her life sexually. I read that once in one of my sister's magazines. My girlfriends told me that they hated their first experience. That's because they didn't love the guys. They just did it to show off. Afterwards, they started liking it, like cigarettes. When I like it the first time, 
Bachelano. Why not? I just can't. Leon says no. He ain't gonna do it. <laughs> says no. Uh, but then it kind of does get weird here because she says, you love somebody else, don't you? And he's like, mm. no. And we could tell this triggers something in him. And he tells her this story that like he did love someone once when he was like 19 years old. He fell in love with a girl. Wherever he's from, I assume it's the Italy. old country. Yeah, yeah. The, the old, old country. country. Back in the old country. And they fell in love, but then her father killed her. And then he, for revenge, killed her father and then fled the country. And that's why he ended up in New York. And that's how he ended up working for Danny Aiello. But then he has a weird line that I think he delivers well, but it's a weird line where he says, you see, Matilda, I won't be a good lover. And he cries. There's like a tear comes down his face. And I struggle a little bit with this line because I'm like, is this him saying I would do this, but I'm, I'm feeling insecure. <laughs> I don't, I can't read it. I don't know. Or is he just, is he so lost in his head about the, the love that he lost so long ago that like, he's just kind of living in that moment. Right. I love it. And in, in a character that kills strangers for money, <laughs> this, is, this the is the big the thing moral we, like, flaw. Feel weird about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he did. His, I mean, his choice of words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we're living in 2024, baby. Yeah, he, uh, he said the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> he turned down the child in a weird way. <laughs> what a piece of shit. But yeah, I'm with. I mean, it's it's what I I think what gets weird about it, it and because there's a lot of um. A friend of mine just saw everything everywhere all at once, and his his take on it was the movie's good. Just why did it have all that weird shit? <laughs> just take the weird shit out, and it's a good movie. Yeah. It's like we don't need the dildo stuff. And this is a weird example of like you do have the version of the movie without the weird you do, shit. Yeah, to yeah. It to. and I have not seen that movie in a million years, but my gut feeling is this is the better version of the movie because it's this more is- interesting. It's more interesting, but the other version you don't get uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. the other version is more so palatable, that's, and I think but that's less just thought provoking. Yeah. yeah, and it's so it's like, yeah, the other version is good. Like the other version was enough yeah. to make it like a cult classic and For give sure. it mystique and make it exciting when it came out. And there are a lot and of so people have, who watch movies just to pass the time, just to have yeah. something fun in front of them. There are a lot of people who don't like to be provoked, don't like to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I do. I appreciate feeling uncomfortable and being provoked, and so I can find the appreciation for this version of the movie. But yeah, so it's one of those like, yeah, if I if I was gonna recommend this movie to someone, I'd probably, you know, I yeah, it's nice to have two versions. Yes, to recommend depending on who. Avoid the word Leon. Just yeah. go straight to the professional. <laughs> Which, by the way, it is kind of weird that culturally, I feel like everybody just across the board calls this movie Leon the Professional now. Even though it did not start out as Leon the Professional, it started as just Leon, then became the Professional, and now we all just call it Leon the Professional. Yeah. Hey, culture's weird. Dude. It's kind of like how Live, Die, Repeat was oh, originally yeah, yeah, yeah. called Edge of Tomorrow, and now it's Wait, called- Wait, did they change it to Live- Yeah. Oh, I thought it, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow was yeah, it was Edge of title. No, Ed, Edge of Tomorrow was what it was released in theaters as initially. Right, I remember that. And, and then, then it Live came Die out Repeat on video. Was the marketing for it, exactly. The, all the things said Live Die Repeat, but it was mostly mostly just like a tagline. 
Oh, is and it now called Live, Die, Repeat? When it came out on video, when they released it on DVD and on streaming and Blu-ray, they officially changed the name of it to Live, Weird. Die, Repeat. And now I think it's actually, if you look it up, it's called Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge <laughs> of Tomorrow. Oh, God. The worst part about that whole thing is the, the manga it's based off is the best title of anything yeah, ever. Yeah, like... Uh, all, all You Need you... Is Kill. Yeah. Which is so good, yeah. but hey. Um, but yeah, good for Leon. He's got, <laughs> got range and title. Uh, and it doesn't end here, folks. She says, well, hey, if you're not going to make love to me, will you at least come sleep in the bed with me? I can't stand watching you sleep in that chair every night. Yeah, you piece of shit. <laughs> And so he does. And we get a scene where she essentially tucks him into bed. Yeah. And cuddles up with him. And it's not, you know, it does not seem to imply that they're having sex or anything. His clothes are fully, he's fully dressed. Um, but it's weird. It's definitely weird. Um, and then we get our big final fucking set piece. <laughs> then we get the We're fun. We're finally here. We're back to the original theatrical version of the movie. Where um, Stansfield has put all the pieces together. He knows where he lives. He's gone and confronted Danny Aiello, who, by the way, there's implications that Danny Aiello is basically stealing from Leon. Leon does all these jobs for Danny Aiello, but he never takes the money because Danny Aiello is like his bank. I'm holding it for you. I'm better than a bank because banks get held up and nobody holds up. Danny Aiello or whatever my favorite. Yeah, what's his name? Tony or something. Yeah. Um, but it's also impl- there's like he's he he's like, could I maybe get some out? And he's like, uh, yeah, I could maybe give you like a hundred bucks. So there's like implications that he's ripping him off. But um, yeah, he ends up through Danny Aiello. Gary Oldman finds out where Leon lives. He literally gets a full SWAT team to come raid his apartment building. Matilda leaves, immediately gets grabbed by these guys. I love the look of these SWAT guys because not only are they in full SWAT tactical gear, but they're in ski masks. And there's something that a ski mask does to a performance that I like a lot. Like any movie where a character has to wear a ski mask, I love their performance underneath the mask. (laughs) This guy hates noses. I hate them. They get in the way. I just want to see that mouth and those two eyes. (laughs) And yeah, the main SWAT guy is really funny and good. He's like, gets her to tell him the secret knock, which she tells it wrong. So Leon knows they're coming. They go in, and again, he's fucking Spider-Man. He's hanging on the walls. Incredible. Just destroying these guys. All these sequences are fucking Killing great. Killing hundreds of men. And just the like music. in the- The yeah. music is awesome. And the just, slow, like, when the two guys walk into the apartment, and then you just slowly see his hand come down and shut the, the door. door. Oh, it's fucking great. Gave me chills. And I love too yep. that, like the first scene, they're getting progressively just getting more and more afraid of him, and so they're they're kind of also hiding back on the walls, like what the fuck do we do now? And there's a great moment where the lead SWAT guy's like, uh, "You go," and he's like, "Me?" He's like, "Yeah, go, fuck, do it." And like <laughs> he slowly creeps around the wall, and right as he turns his head, it's just like click, click, gun right to his head, and they're like, "What do you see?" And he's like. Uh, I see him. Where is he? He's right in front of me. <laughs> He's got a gun to my head. <laughs> a lot of Amazing. fun humor in this movie. He ends up getting Matilda back, killing a bunch of these guys. They sort of barricade themselves in the apartment. At this point, he's killed almost all of them, and so they ask Gary Oldman, what do you want to do? And he goes, bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone! Again, improvised thing, apparently. It was uh, supposedly That's he did that. That's improvised? That's incredible. Mm-hmm. He did that supposedly just to make Luke Besson laugh, and it worked, and he put it in the movie, and 
it makes iconic. us all laugh. Iconic. It's it's maybe everyone is maybe the most iconic line from this movie. It's just that word everyone. Yeah. Um so he sends in basically the entire police force in there to get him. And they got fucking rocket launchers, and they're pulling Again. out the biggest machine guns. <laughs> yeah. Written by a, a child. <laughs> Maybe not old. the most authentic rocket launcher yeah. in cinema. Worked for me, baby. I was oh, right hell, on board. I know. That's what you want. It's great. You don't want the guy who actually knows SWAT team yes. protocol yeah. <laughs> to write the finale for your action movie. Hell no. They're shooting. They got, like, red beams coming through the windows. This whole sequence is fucking awesome. He realizes they're cornered and that the only way out is that he's got to fucking chop a hole in the wall and toss Matilda down the fucking air shaft, essentially. And this has, like, a Shining reference, too, where he's chopping the hole in the wall and, and Luke mm-hmm. Besson's doing the pan back and forth with the chops. Looks awesome. He sticks Matilda into the hole, and she realizes that there ain't enough room for Leon. She's like, I can barely fit in this fucking thing. What are you going to do? And he's like, you just got to go. And she's like, I'm not leaving. And holy shit, this moment got me. I was bawling by the end of this moment (laughs) because she's like, I won't go. And he's like, you have to. And she's like, I don't want to lose you, Leon. And he's like, I don't want to lose you, Matilda. You've given me a taste for life. I want to be happy. I want to sleep in the bed, have roots. <laughs> it's great. I I I would have had the same emotional reaction, but uh living in an old house that was falling apart. When I saw him chopping oh, this at wall's the wall not real. and all the dust going up, all I could think about was asbestos. <laughs> Like she's dead in two weeks. I'm like, oh my god, he is, he is gonna have mesothelioma from one escape attempt. Not to mention all the bullet holes. Oh, Worth that it, poor dude. girl sliding down. Oh, so yeah, that's that's where my head went. Worth it. Uh, and she says, "I love you, Leon." And he says, "I love you too, Matilda." And she's bawling, and I'm bawling, and the fucking. Asbestos is flying Asbestos around. Is flying. <laughs> <laughs> and he like very softly grabs her hand and forces it off the thing so that she falls down the hole. And then he turns around. This part did kind of make me laugh. He turns around and goes, <laughs> just as they fire their rocket launcher. Yep. Great shot too, where like you follow the rocket like almost through it goes through a hole in the door. And I found a behind the scenes video where they they built a little monorail into the floor and put the camera mm. on the monorail and had it like perfectly timed up with the rocket that was basically just on like a fishing line. Yeah. So that they moved at the same time and they could get the shot repeatedly both forwards and backwards and it went directly through the hole. It looked really fucking cool. It's amazing. And by the way, Natalie Portman said that this this goodbye moment was on one of the last days of filming. And she said she was having such a great time that she did not want to leave. She didn't want to be done. And so she said in this moment when she says goodbye to him, she was thinking about saying goodbye to Luke Besson and Jean Renault. It was ended. That's what brought the tears. And yeah, it blows up his apartment. We don't know exactly know what happened to him, but in the process, he does what Hannibal Lecter does in Silence of the Lambs. And he sneaks into one of these SWAT guys costume and pretends to be an injured cop. It's a great move, solid move. Can't wait to mm-hmm. do it one day. They card him out, and Matilda escapes. We see her walk down the street. He's wounded, but he's alive, and he sees the opening down this long Ugh. hallway, and you're like, yes, he's going to do it. Go, go for you it. You skipped one incredible thing. Oh, hit me. 
him going down flights and flights of stairs with literally 200 police officers like oh, yeah. all the way up yeah. like it's incredible yeah he's, like, he's it's working oh What's but he- i just mean from like a movie pres- mm-hmm. just the scale like in a movie you're not yeah. When else are you ever going to see You that? don't see 200 like, bodies in the frame yeah, ever that aren't CG anymore. It's yeah. just, in, it's incredible. And just the camera going down with and past all these cops all going in there to get one guy. Oh, yeah. Who's just going right past. It's like the coolest thing ever. And to, th- to think of all the times that I've been on set and we've had to fight for like five extras <laughs> oh, in a scene dude, that deserves 30. My So my new thing now is watching old movies. It's like. I'm just appreciating the extras. We watched we we rewatched Gremlins two the other night. <laughs> the amount of yeah. extras in that movie uh, yeah. is just absolutely incredible. It like, builds every the world scene of like so tears perfectly. in my eyes. And when you consider all the Gremlin shots in that too, and then oh, that one insane. they've got hordes of them, and all of those Gremlins probably have at least two, if not five, puppeteers under the fucking floor. I want to see what it looks like under the floor of those shots. Yeah. All the extras, dude. Extras. I was I was thinking the same thing when we did. You see the new Eli Roth Thanksgiving movie? Mm-mm. Right, oh, you'll like it. It's fun. It's fun. It was, it took me by surprise. I was kind of thinking it was maybe going to suck ass, and it was really fun. But the big thing was in the opening sequence, they do like a Black Friday massacre, and you can tell they actually had like a hundred extras. And the same thing, like I came out of the movie and I was like, honestly, that opening sequence rocked simply by the fact that they actually had a hundred extras there. And it was right. really clear it's, they did. It's weird how much of that, like heat, there's a scene at heat where they just go to like a restaurant at the mall. Mm-hmm. There's like 200 people just <laughs> yeah. around. Like uh. my, just, sorry, quick side story, but my first like, Two weeks moving into L.A., we had this guy staying with us who was working for this company called Inflatables. Okay. And for, like, big crowd scenes, instead of getting all extras, they would have no. these inflatable torsos oh. with wigs and faces. Oh, and they you were know what? I on... like that better than CG. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they were working on Iron Man 2. And he and so, basically, he invited me and my roommate to come. And they were doing, the, like, the Grand Prix, like, racing scene in uh-huh. Iron Man mm-hmm. 2. And for like eight hours, the whole day was just me and my roommate with a bottle of whiskey up in these bleachers <laughs> surrounded by inflatable torsos. Oh, that's great. Watching them make Iron Man 2. That's amazing. <laughs> do you have pictures and of that? Like pictures I of do, y'all sitting yeah. by the inflatables? That's fucking great. And like looking, you know, we're just looking down. There's Mickey Rourke fighting. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like we could, we had uh, access to craft service. So like we're just like walking down like Oh my God, what a day. Back life. Up to the yeah. bleachers. And hey, that's so. still movie magic to me. You know, if you're putting something in front of the frame, that's mu- that's movie magic. I'm into that. Yeah. So anyhow, but yeah, lots of good extras. None of them inflatable. Yes. Um, so yeah, Leon, th- we think he's getting out. He's moving down this hallway again. The filmmaking is great. They're cutting between. It goes full slow motion. The music gets epic. We're cutting between shots of Leon. We're cutting between his point of view as he's drawing closer to the light at the end of the tunnel, and then we see Gary Oldman. Step out from the shadows behind him. Slowly pulls his gun out, puts it right up to his head, and then it does the same thing. The thing I love so much about when the door opened on Natalie Portman and all you see is the light. All you see, you get you cut to Leon's point of view and you just see a flash. And then the camera wobbles and falls down onto the ground so like in bad. full point of view shot. And the exposure uh, goes up, which I'm yeah. guessing happens when you die because you're Pupils oh, yeah. would dilate. So and I'm guessing everything yeah. gets brighter. Ascending into heaven, too. Yeah. You know, so like, I like that they have that little detail in there. Mm-hmm. 
And he's laying bleeding on the ground. He's a fucking goner. Gary Oldman's standing over him. And Leon holds his little fist up. Gary Oldman takes it. He's got something in his hand and he says, This is from Matilda. And he opens his hand and it's a grenade ring. A fucking ring trick. And Gary Oldman pulls open Leon's vest and we see he's got like 10 grenades strapped to his chest. And he just goes, shit. (laughs) And the biggest explosion ever, like, again, talking about the way things used to be done. They blew up a fucking building in the middle of New York. And I saw the behind the scenes. They fucking did it. It's it's awesome looking. My uh, one of the other things on what I absolutely love about this movie in bold, all caps dust mm-hmm. like the shootouts like all all new movies it's all cg bullets yeah. cg lens or muzzle flashes cg blood so you're not getting the dust and mm-hmm. particles yeah. and there's shit particles in, the air. in this movie and that explosion is so dirty yeah yep. asbestos everywhere like it's just <laughs> but like it's just incredible like the amount of depth you get on just all the smoke and dust in the air and just every that entire final scene where yeah. like Ugh. the doors are actually blowing up there's actual squibs going off there's actual there's just shit in the air and i love too that, like they got like six cameras on this explosion and one of them is on like a fucking dolly track so they cut one shot as explosions happen it's like cruising along people are flying out of the frame it's just like this is good shit that you don't you you would i don't know if we'll ever see this shot again because they'll just never do it the the everybody they don't even do like a real match anymore exactly like cg fire (laughs) on a mat yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll never do anything like it again it's it's a real uh it's a it's a fossil of the old days but boy it looks incredible and yeah then we get our final piece where uh matilda goes to danny aiello she asks if she can be a cleaner for him, and he's kind of ruthless to her. He's like, there ain't no fucking cleaners no more, kid. Leon's dead. The game's over. Get out of here. He gives her like 20 bucks, sends her back to the reform school that she was skipping out on. And it's funny, when she goes back to the school, there's like this shot of the cool kids like sitting on the stairs, and they're like, who's that? Because <laughs> she's real cool. And... um. Has a little moment where she talks to the teacher, but then the the final thing is she takes her little potted plant out to the to the lawn, digs a little hole, buries it, and says, "I think we'll be safe now, Leon." Which is all sweet is a nice ending, dude. I get it, it got me. I know, but the way Fucking in which they, I wish like they would have just like I don't know if the way that she just plants this plant in the middle of a field. I'm like that plant's dying. It, it's in also one a straight hour. up. It's a straight up yeah. house plant. Like it's that a, is a plant yeah, exactly. that is not. Made. I looked it's it like, up. It's it's a Chinese <laughs> tropical plant. Yeah. That's like um, taking your house cat out to the jungle yeah. and being like, here you go. Oh God, you're you free. Dumb little girl. You're just going to see Leon die. But, uh, but it's I, sweet. I get it. And it's, but it's one of those things where, again, I think that this this is the perfect example of he may have been trying to do one thing, but we got something incredible. And I don't know how much of it is on purpose where it's a perfect 14 year old poetic ending. 
it's so rad it gets you but under scrutiny it doesn't really mm-hmm. work yeah. but also that's what a 12 year old girl would do 100 yeah. and so it does work like yeah. it does yeah. make sense because mm-hmm. it's as impermanent as the relationship with the man she loved was anyway Dude. oh wow you nailed it wow you you fucking beautiful nailed it. so you know and i'm two watering guns up i'm watering that plant with my tears <laughs> Yeah. And the movie ends on an original Sting song, Shape yeah. of My Heart, which sucks ass. It's <laughs> such a bad song. It's not a good song. It's a little Bjork, but... Uh... <laughs> he deals the cards as a meditation. Sting, honestly, uh, his best song for me is the one that he did for The Three Musketeers with uh, Brian Adams and Rod Stewart. Uh, all for one, all for love. <laughs> You don't oh, know that yeah. one? That's a good one. Yeah. Sting, honestly, kind of a, a a king of the movie song. He did a song for Lethal Weapon 3. That's actually not bad. It's like the opening credits uh, song. He did one for Demolition Man called no Demolition shit. Man. <laughs> that one sucks. All right, so this is he's part of a long lineage then of banger. Long uh, I haven't even thought about that. The banger outro song. Mm-hmm. That's hmm. your next list. That yeah, is I didn't your think next Sting list. would be a big part of that. He did, a, he did one for uh, Terminal Velocity. <gasps> he's Dude, he's this... all over the movies. He and they all kind of suck. Like none yeah, of the yeah, songs yeah. are very well, good. We need a come down. Yeah. You know, you don't want to yeah, you got to like exhale. Can't yeah. go out too hard. But all for love. Ooh, that one rips. One of the one of my worst memories was when I was like, I don't know, 8 or 9 and it was the Ryan Adams song from the Prince Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack. Yeah. Where it's like, don't tell me it's not worth yes. dying for. Yeah. And I really wanted it, but I didn't know what it was called. And my mom and I were at the mall and we're at Sam Goody. <laughs> and she finds like this cool teenager who works there. She's like, ooh, Ian, tell him the song you want. What's the <laughs> song you want? And I'm like, uh, it's the... Uh, and, and she's like, just just sing it. Sing it oh, for me. Oh, God. <laughs> and so I had to do like, don't tell me. Oh, <laughs> so sweet. dying for. And the guy's just sitting there like this smile on his face. Just like, yeah, I don't know it. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's so And I just funny. ended up having to sing like this whole song for some cool teenager. It was brutal. <laughs> and never found out what it was. Oh, but. Bummer, because it's sitting right there in the soundtrack section. You never yeah. know. Banger Buskers. Also, did you know? Speaking of songs, did you know that band Alt J has a song called Matilda? I saw it on the Wikipedia. I did. I've never heard the song though. Oh, the song's great. Yeah. So I was familiar with the song before. Like it's a song I actually like a lot, and uh, real pretty song. But it's all about how it's it. The song is about a guy handing a grenade pin to another guy. Oh, that's cool. It's like this is for Matilda or something. That's it's great. like he gives him a ring. And this is for Matilda. <laughs> like, it's awesome. I saw in, in looking something else up, I noticed that there was a metal band. I can't remember their name, but they had an album called Death is Whimsical Today. Oh, I was like, that's a good yeah. ass album name. <laughs> good ass album name. Well, let's take one more break. And when we come back, we'll give final thoughts on Luc Besson's Leon. The Professionera. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possess, and we are talking final thoughts on the 1994 action drama. Romance? Uh-uh. Maybe? <laughs> no. Hard no. Leon the Grow Professional. Corey, I am going to start with you. Sum it up for us. What's your final thoughts on this film after we talked it through and we worked it out? I think if you look at this movie, and we're just looking at the movie, we're not thinking about the director, and Don't. we're not calling this movie a romance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I fucking love this movie. It hits on the action thriller vibes for me, for sure. Like, all of those things. It's like, check, check, check. The acting is way more heightened than a lot of action movies you get. Like, this is really, really, really good acting mm-hmm. in this movie. Insane performances by Gary Oldman. Natalie Portman being, like, 12 when she shot this movie is insane. Like, everybody's so good. I really looked at this movie as a father-daughter story. Um, and I think if you can look at it through that lens, it's really, really beautiful. And it exactly like what you said about like Terminator and E.T. and all that. Sling Blade. Yeah, I think it fits into that category so much as like the adult saving a child and becoming more human themselves. Mm -hmm. And I I, I don't know. I love it. I think I think it hits. And I think if you can just put the director out of your mind, which I mean, I know some people can't, but I can. And therefore, I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Ian how about you dog well I would say uh, it's a heady banger for sure Um, and I love that it comes at two speeds Mm -hmm. if you want to feel weird and have an experience you can go with the art house version and if you just want to bang and have a good time you can go with the theatrical pick your poison yeah there's the uh, airplane ride version yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's the flight version and the at home version but um I don't know. This sucker rules. What I love is that it's still. I remember when when I was younger, like at the mall, there was like that store that had like the weird like they had a lot of Akira posters, mm-hmm. like <laughs> the Shining post, all this stuff. Yeah, like, you're talking yeah, like Gadzooks, Spencer's, yeah. Hot Topic, guess yeah. kind of. This was like a weird one-off store though, where mm. it had like a lot of like anime stuff, and I remember it had 
uh, the professional poster and like the shining poster and these these two very like mysterious a lot of allure a lot of you know and it's cool to see that 30 years later this movie still kind of has that allure to it yeah There's something mysterious about it did you ever have the round glasses with like a hologram in them oh yeah got those at the hologram store <laughs> yeah that had its own store <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right by the Sabaros, <laughs> yep. you can go to the sunglasses hologram store. Yeah, I had yeah, one. I had ones with with, with an alien head in in both lenses, and I'm currently wearing some Leon lenses right now for for those listening. Plus a beanie, and I will say, you know, I think I look really stupid in a beanie when it's on normal, but when I roll it up with this thin mm-hmm. Leon style, you're feeling I it, yourself. I think it's actually kind of like my new thing. <laughs> yeah, this is working, man. Thanks. And you won't catch cold. It's true. It's true. And I, you know, I'm I've been I'm a hat guy from way back, and I've always got to try to switch my hat game up a little bit. So maybe I'm, maybe I'll go beanie for a little while. Maybe a little beanie, bro. A little beanie, bro. I echo everything you two say. I think we all agree this movie rocks, but it's complicated, and that it's it's weird. And I fully understand if you if it's not for you. I fully understand if you hate the film, uh, and think it's sick. I get it. It pushes the boundaries, um, but it it's elevated action movie material to me that I think is worth sticking around, worth having, worth considering and watching and talking about. I think it created an interesting conversation today. I think that's the benefit of movies like this. And um, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so keep the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And beautifully, beautifully said. Don't, don't, don't touch <laughs> the baby. Keep your hands off that baby. Uh, and when it comes to this DVD copy that I have, yeah, it's old. It's from the year 2000. I will say the transfer looked nice, though. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any quality issues with it. It has basically zero special features. The biggest special feature is you can do an isolated music score while watching the movie, which sounds kind of fun. That sounds incredible. Sounds fun, but there's no making ofs on this. All the making ofs that I watched, I had to just go to YouTube to see. Um, There's some theatrical trailers. So I got a feeling I... You're going to upgrade? No, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) Because I don't... It's not like I adore this film, even though it made me cry like three times. Um, That's mostly because of where I'm at in my life right now, I think. (laughs) Yeah, um, <laughs> but I I'm, I want to keep it. You know, I don't want to give it away. I'm glad I have it. I think this is fine for me to have this. This is the version I would probably want to watch again, anyways. Because yeah. why watch the version that has less stuff, weird stuff in it? Like I'll just watch the weird version for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're at a family reunion. Well, and they ask you to pick out a movie to watch. <laughs> I'm probably not going to pick it's Leon. Good to have one that one up your sleeve. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to hold on to this DVD. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to it. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Leon colon, the professional, what do you say we play? Colon quiz, colon quiz, wah, wah, wah. Colon quiz. Colon quiz? <laughs> oh, sorry. Didn't mean to give away the part. <laughs> wow. That's right, folks. It's the colon quiz. Have y'all ever noticed that Leon the professional has a colon? 
No, I'm not talking about Jean Renault's large intestine. I'm talking about that iconic double dot punctuation mark that rests squarely in the middle of the title. But Leon's not the only movie that sports this stinky little oh, colon. God, we're digging deep for this quiz. <laughs> wow. Can you name these other colon-covered movie titles based on their descriptions? So the rule is, is I'm going to describe the film. You have to not only say the name of the film, but you have to tell me where the colon resides oh in the title. So for Leon, you would say, Leon, colon, the professional. Gosh. I lose. Shawshank, <laughs> colon, the redemption. <laughs> <laughs> If only. All right, I'm going to start with uh, what I think is an easy one. Question number one. An eccentric investigator specializing in animal crimes goes in search of a missing <laughs> mascot. Ace. Gary Oldman oh. in Ace Ventura, colon, pet detective. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ian got the point. <laughs> Oldman's finest performance. Asshole, Mia. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> okay, they're only going to get harder from here, folks. I'm screwed. Mm. Question number two: When a shopping mall is taken over by a gang of organized crooks, <sighs> it's up to a mild-mannered security guard to save the day. Paul Blart, Colin. Oh, Malt that's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You like, got it, dude. Has, what's his name in it? <laughs> Paul Blart. We, I, 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 do we just say it or are we supposed yeah, to Yeah, we can just say it. Okay, we can just right. say it. I think you got this one on the Say lock, it once Ian. you have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ian's two for two. Corey, you got to catch up if you want to win the colon quiz. Question number three. After uncovering a mysterious artifact buried beneath the lunar surface, a spacecraft is sent to Jupiter. To find the origins, manned by two men in a sentient supercomputer. 2001, colon, a space odyssey. Ding, ding, ding! Woo, you are destroying hey this man, colon. I, at least I've seen these movies. I'm pretty proud yeah. of myself so far. They're all making sense when you hear yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, question number four. Four horror and science fiction stories directed by four famous directors each of them being a new version of a classic story from a landmark television series. Oh. Ah, shit. Four rooms? No, that doesn't have a colon. Yeah, four, four colon rooms. Room. <laughs> Is it Tales from the Crypt colon Demon Knight? But that's one whole thing. The Tales from the Crypts don't have colons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corey? Oh, we can still guess. Uh, what is... Is it the cat, the cat's cradle, the Stephen King thing? I'm just trying to think of horror movies that are multiple movies in one. You're on the right track. Mm. I'll give you a one. I'll repeat the end of it. Each story based on each story being a new version of a classic story from a landmark television series. Landmark oh, television. Twilight Zone oh. colon the movie. Twilight Zone colon the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Mm. Ian, four for four. Whoa. Okay, question number five. An incompetent lawman seeks the ruthless attacker of his partner and stumbles upon an attempt to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II by a oh. brainwashed baseball player. The naked, or from the files of police squad, colon, the naked gun. 
Or is it the other way around? The naked gun colon from the pot, flat files of police. Club? You got it. That's the yeah. one. Ding, ding, ding. What if I would have gotten ever that made. one? Did you did you recognize the, the not, description of that one? Not a bit. Not a <laughs> bit. Has one of my favorite movie lines of all time. She had the kind of legs you'd like to suck on for a day. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. An international police force recruits a famous Broadway actor to go undercover and infiltrate a terrorist organization headed by Team Kim- America, colon, world police. You got it. Woo. Six for six. Okay. Final question. And this question is worth 11 points. Oh, I could take it all. Corey, you have the chance <laughs> to take it all. Here we go. Question number seven. After a secret agent is framed for the death of his espionage team, he must race like a burning fuse to stay one step ahead of his pursuers and draw one step closer to discovering the truth. Oh, Mission Impossible! Mission, Mission Impossible! Uh, Mission Impossible: Colon Dead Reckoning, <laughs> Body of Reckoning. <laughs> Is it Mission Impossible? Is it Mission Impossible? Might be. Ghost Protocol. But you have to say colon, it correctly. You have to say the correct. Mission, impo- Mission Impossible: Colon Ghost Protocol. <laughs> Mission Impossible: Colon um, <laughs> Airplane Stunt. <laughs> Do you recognize the description? Does, does that sound familiar to you? The they're all in my head. They're all just one. <laughs> they're all one story. You know, you are Fallout. I'll Colin, say Fallout. You're both so so close. <laughs> We're both so close. I'm so close. You're so close. But I think you got to think a little bit more from the source, from the from the uh, original. All right. Say it again. After a secret agent is framed for the deaths of his espionage team, he must race like a burning fuse to stay one step ahead of his pursuers and draw one step closer to discovering the truth. Am I colon Mission Impossible? Oh, you're so close. Oh, oh don't tell me it's like Mission colon Impossible. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, damn. It is damn. Mission colon Impossible. <laughs> oh, man. Ian uh, wins the wow. colon quiz. Great wow, job. Wow, wow. <laughs> great job, great job. Well wow. done, Ian. You killed <laughs> Thank you. that quiz. <laughs> you made a Fool of me, Ian. <laughs> oh, sorry. Another one that I left off the list was Dracula Dead and Loving It, but I didn't want to put two Ooh. Leslie Nielsen's. In yeah, 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 yeah. Two spoofs. Well, Ian, I had a blast talking about Leon the Professional with you today. Corey, do I speak for us both? When oh I said my it? gosh, Ian, you're the best. So fun. Aww. It was great having you on today. We got to have you back. Got to have you back. For uh, maybe not Please. such a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick, yeah, what's another... Yeah, what yeah, you, maybe Lolita. How about like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry yeah. Clark's kids? <laughs> yeah, we can do kids. We can do cuties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Now and then. Triumph of the will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you bring me... Yeah, if it's anything that no one else wants to dive into, I'm down. Um, but thank you guys. This is awesome. It's real, real treat to be a part of this. Anything so you, fun. anything you want to plug before you go? Not at the moment. I got some stuff cooking, but nothing yeah. is pluggable. Nice. So hey, he's it. the best, the most talented. So really we can't is. wait to see spring what's break eternal. Check him out. Look him up. Watch his shit. It's all good, folks. It's all gravy. Well, that, my friends, 
is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about way more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the hell you get your pods. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Bonjour! That's hello. Oh, what? Yeah. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs>